Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Podcast, the 96th draft. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, we did it. 96. 96, you know, let's hang up the, the I don't know, the boots, the film. I, I don't know. No, um, you guys might be going, what? You guys just had an episode. Yeah, uh, we kind of mentioned on the or last episode. Or some people were just that, like, ah, okay. Oh, I don't, another I don't one. Even, didn't Who even cares? notice. Um, yeah, you guys can check out our uh, 95th draft that we just did with our guests, Rihanna Mehta and Kevin Maguire. A wonderful, wonderful episode uh, that ran long because we just talked to them about what they've been watching over the pandemic, what their kind of blind spots were that they kind of have filled uh, during this time as as well as a bunch of trailers and news and stuff like that. Um, but we mentioned TIFF and, you know, we love doing TIFF talk here on the Untitled Movie Podcast. And we're like, oh, we'll go do another episode to talk about the, the TIFF announcement in more detail and things like that. And then after Eric and I were talking about that, we um, decided, hey, we should probably move back to the weekly format that we originally had for the Untitled Movie Podcast. I, uh, I, I put a post over on our Letterboxd HQ, which you guys can go check out, Untitled Podcasts. Um, but basically, we were just, you know, during the pandemic, Eric and I were like, all right, I don't think we necessarily need to do the show weekly because there's not, you know, a ton of news or trailers coming out every week. And, and maybe we don't. You know, we could talk about what we've been watching and things like that. But um, we felt like, you know what, just for our mental health and different things, let's go, you know, bi-weekly format, sometimes even less on Untitled Movie Podcast. And then we'll just kind of go hard with reviews when they pop up. We were kind of slow for a bit, but then as streaming movies kept falling uh, into the schedule, we kept reviewing those. But uh, now that things are starting to feel somewhat normal... Obviously, you know, in the U.S. and different places, the Delta variant is kind of making cases go up. But we're we're doing pretty well here in Ontario with vaccinations and and you know slowly opening up and and things like that. And and movies are starting to be released theatrically on a regular basis. Theaters are open. Um, we just felt like let's get back to our regular scheduled programming, which is a weekly show. Let's eat our all market. brand yeah. and make sure we're yeah. regular again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, maybe the episodes won't be two and a half hours like they were um bi-weekly maybe they they probably will be who am i kidding um but <laughs> we're, we're uh, telling you now that we we we're going to make the attempt to do a weekly show but ultimately it probably still will be bi-weekly just, because we're uh, just so lazy <laughs> no no i want to stick to it because i feel like it's good it, consistency is good knowing when people are going to get new episodes is good um i feel like the pandemic was a weird time for everyone so it was a weird time for the show i think we really killed it with reviews like we were on what 200 and 250 plus reviews now i think um on on the reviews channel so we've just been you know going ham over there we've covered multiple festivals and things like that but um you know this main show i really have fun doing because you know we just talk about our lives what we've been watching kind of what's in the news and um i just feel like getting back to a regular you know like you said keep it regular is is a healthy thing so it um, sure is Let's uh, let's do that and bring on more guests. Like I love talking to Rhea and Kevin. Um, I loved when Daniel Baptista stopped by from the movie podcast. So, you know, maybe once a month or, or, you know, every other episode or something like that, we'll try to bring in some guests to kind of shoot the shit with us and talk about what they've been watching and what's going on in the entertainment industry. And and that should be fun. And that'll be separate from conversations, which is, you know, whenever we want to formally interview someone, maybe it'll be over there. Like we did with, uh, the folks at Phantom City Creative, um, Justin Erickson and Paige Reynolds. 
which you guys can check out. But um, and then we we have some plans for some other stuff too coming up, just as like an overall update of this show and just the state of all of our podcasts. Like Eric and I want to try to do maybe um, a movie commentary show, and that would probably just be monthly, like once a month. Eric and I will hop on and and you know talk over a movie and maybe upload that. That could be fun. There's a lot of uh, Nick Cage VOD films we have. Yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, um, we've talked about a filmography show, so just kind of more focus doing seasons uh so you know one season being a specific director's filmography and maybe doing that as well so i mean but we are only two men um so we only have uh that almost uh, sounds like an album or like a tagline they were i'm just like we only have so much time even though we're very ambitious with how much content we put out uh hashtag content but um you know I, i love doing it and we love doing a different kind of varied amount of things we love so. doing it matt yeah you guys can check out our preview of dune which is something kind of new that we were doing <laughs> which we weren't sure what show to throw that on but we put it on the reviews channel and just call it called it a preview uh a preview um so go check that out that was dope uh i had fun eric yeah we've gone back to the movies a few times which we sort of talked about on this show but not really but um, you, talk, you can go and listen to uh both uh f9 escape and room escape room and, for yeah. our thoughts on going back to the the movies and i guess snake eyes a little bit as well yeah, so, and dune as yeah. well yeah so because we're starting Prune, to go please, back please. on a on a regular basis so you know eric and i traveled into toronto uh to go see the dune imax preview as well as uh Stillwater, which our review's not up yet but the embargo's up but um we wanted to g- get it closer to the, to the release. release so and, it should be out yeah. in the next couple days wednesday i think i'm timing it for, for so. all those damon heads uh, out there yeah, so um, you guys can check that out. But it was fun getting back to like press screenings, and we took the train into the city, which is uh, was Eric. You were mentioning it was sort of an out of body experience for I you. Felt like I was in the movie Free Guy, Matt. A virtual reality <laughs> experience. Yeah, yeah, it, it was different. Like I went in to go get my hair cut uh, a couple of weeks ago because I'm looking much better now than I was during the pandemic. I had this disgusting mullet um, that I got chopped off. So I went in and went to the Federal, one of my favorite breakfast spots near my old condo. And um, you also voted in the Federal, yeah. right? I did. Um, that was a little while ago, but this I had a nice. Uh, impossible sausage breakfast sandwich. Oh, it was so good. Um, and uh, a little roasty, a little salad, and um, it was delicious. And I sat on the patio by myself and had a wonderful time, got my hair cut. So I've, I already had gone into the city once, which so I didn't feel that weird, I guess, when we went in for the press screen. Well, did you feel weird when um, you went in for your hair cut? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I did. Um, a little bit, but that stuff like – I think we've been so strict with how we've been dealing with this whole pandemic. I know like, you know, Nevis, Sarah and I, who all share the same household, like we've been very good about, you know, not really going out unless we really have to, whether it's to get, you know, groceries or, or something from a pharmacy or, or something like that. And um, we haven't really seen friends, even Eric and I who live, you know, 10 minutes away from one another after, you know, the, the lockdown went into place. Um, we stopped seeing each other in person other than you maybe dropping off a coffee here or there or dropping off movies or something like that, but with masks on and then you took off, we never really hung out. Um, so, and you were even more extreme than, than we were. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Cause I was um, also thinking of my grandparents as well. Of course. I, I understand that. They're, you know, late eighties, early nineties. So yeah. it's kind of like, I don't want to get them sick 
because I'm sick. So yeah, I think the only time I actually did go see other people is when my grandfather was dying, and and at that point, we kind of made an excuse because we knew he only had you know very short time left. So we wore masks and, and visited him at one point, but um. But so going into the city, like I was ready, like after I always told myself once I was double vaccinated, um, you know, I I would feel comfortable. And that's not saying that, you know, guards down, take off your mask, uh, you know, just live life as you were before. Walk around naked Um, like you usually do. Yeah. Go back to my nudist uh, ways. But um, watch John Courtney movies all the time. Like I'm still I'm still wearing a mask when I go indoors. Um, You know, even when we've gone to the movies, wearing a mask unless I'm eating or drinking in the theater Um, or if there's literally no one around us or something like that. Um, But uh, for the most part, like still when I go into places and for the time being for a while, I'll probably be wearing a mask indoors and like, especially on transit, like when we were on the train and I know right now the rules are, you still kind of, you have to do that. Um, but, but I would, but we still would do taking it, it very seriously. Yeah. yeah. Like I still taking it seri- everywhere. Yeah. I know you've been like, yeah, you've been, uh, and I applaud you for it. Like I'm, I'm a little bit more like, okay, I'm double vax now. I'm going to wear a mask everywhere. Uh, but when I'm outside, I'm not going to, cause like, I feel like, you know, outside I'm, I'm okay, especially being vaccinated and we're not in super close vicinity of other people. Um, but I felt, you know, it was nice to get back to it. Like going to a press screening, even though we didn't really talk to anyone, we just kind of like checked in, went to our seats and then like, I mean, these things are mostly antisocial anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're like, I mean, in the olden days, the before times we still would say hi to our, our colleagues or whatever for them. Like, quickly like we weren't we're not much of like a stick around and talk after the movie guys we're like um we just want to bail out afterwards but um it's still it was nice to you know see people from a distance quickly you know kind of uh, but then we just kind of bailed out uh really fast after so uh but it did feel good going up that escalator like as much as i and it worked you know, po- <laughs> yeah it did uh as much as i poke fun of Scotiabank, like you know, we saw something in the IMAX theater and I still think Scotia IMAX is up there with the Cinesphere of being, you know, one of the best IMAX theaters in the country, if not the best one, um, as well as, you know, Stillwater seeing it in a regular theater there, you know, because it was a, you know, a 185 film, it filled up the screen. So it's not like I had to deal with improper masking and stuff like that. And it looked totally fine. Um, so yeah, it was just nice to get back to it, but we were also saying like, you do one thing now and I just feel like I'm, I'm broken for like three days. Right. <laughs> like, the I'm recovery just, like, time, it, 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 it takes a lot out of you because like, you know, for the last year and a half, we have been conditioned to, you know, still working from home or, you know, still sort of maintaining a schedule within, you know, the vicinity of, of being isolated and quarantined and on our own. But it, it feels like, you know, you do more than one thing that's sort of outside of your, 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 your newfound routine. Um, it just takes a lot out of you. And like, you know, the, that day going to, you know, Toronto coming back afterwards, it was like, I was exhausted at like three in the afternoon. I was done. <laughs> yeah. We were going to stick around to go see black widow in, um, in IMAX because both of us watched the screener of it. So I was like, you know what? We're in the city again. Scotia IMAX is pretty dope. So um, maybe we'll go see Black Widow to see it on the big screen because it would be the first Marvel Studios movie that I uh, haven't seen on the big screen. So, um, but after Stillwater, we were just like, 
man, I'm tired. You want to go home? <laughs> and then like, so we just refunded the tickets. Just and, grab some and Chipotle back, and get but, out of there. Oh yeah. The Chipotle. See, I was missing Chipotle as well because, which I'll probably get it tomorrow when we go in again. Cause it's one of the, at least not healthy, but healthier options. Uh, cause it's just chicken and vegetables and rice and beans. But, um, if you don't get like cheese and sour cream and guac and stuff, cause I'm trying to eat a bit better, but, um, I, I love Chipotle. It's so fucking good. So I was I, I was excited to kind of get that. And it was just it felt normal again. You know, as we're prepping into going into TIFF, which we're going to talk about TIFF talk today. TIFF talk um, 2021. You know, starting to do this regularly, I think will be good. Like it, it will feel weird for a bit and we'll be anxious a little bit. But like hopefully cases stay, you know, down and and that we do like more and more people get vaccinated and as tiff kind of uh one of the announcements they had with this press release that they sent out with the gala and special presentations is that they're going to have scotia bank as a venue which they will use for press and industry screenings limited press and industry screenings um that means everything will be available on the uh digital pro um which they did last year so you can watch everything digitally uh, or most things digitally um but they will have in-person press and industry screenings. That's not to say that we we don't know if we're going to get accredited yet. Uh, we're hoping. Um, uh, if not, totally cool. We understand that. Um, and we'll either buy tickets or or look into industry badges or something like that. But um, it's good to know that they are doing in-person press and industry. I'm just curious to see you know, how many international press, because ultimately, if you have your own outlet, you could decide to go or maybe if you want to pay your own way. Well, especially um, with the US as well, where, you know, the borders are going to be opening up to fully vaccinated on uh, August 9th. In August, but I also hear that like the US is still very much cautioning uh, any yeah. US travelers to go to Canada because it'll be harder to get back into the US afterwards. Right that makes sense so yeah it'll be really interesting to see because then the international borders are opening september 7th which is literally two days before the festival so like i could only imagine what a cluster fuck that might be you know two days leading into the festival anyone you know from europe or i gotta see dear evan hansen um, i gotta make it (laughs) yeah so like and especially if your outlet like if your boss sees that you can watch everything digitally through if you do get accredited which most major outlets will like will they go why what benefit do we have sending you and spending the money when you can watch everything from your home well, right? even with like the bigger outlets as well like you know the varieties and the hollywood reporters and the vanity fairs it's like it's also still a question of like is talent going to show up and like part and of will that inter- in-person interviews them. happen yeah. like yeah or will it all still be kind of digital interviews and stuff like that over zoom right like i could see talent showing up for red carpets but are they gonna put you know you know, journalists in front of them for interviews. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, Are they going to book studio spaces out or, or you for know, hotel, hotel rooms for junkets and stuff yeah. like that? Like, I don't know if you're going to get that stuff. I think you could possibly just have red carpet because you can kind of distance that you don't necessarily have to do red carpet interviews and things like that. Just photos and, or even and press and conferences, stuff. because look at, yeah. uh, you the know, press conferences. Yeah. Wes Anderson, you know, kind of skipping out on the, the French dispatch, press conference and just doing the red carpet and introing the movie and that's it like he didn't even bother this year yeah so it'll be really interesting to see um because i don't know what that you know 
the cost thing is like if you're going to do in-person interviews then maybe it does make sense to send your journalist there if they're going to do interviews but if not and they're just reviewing films like yeah it makes sense for local people um to go in in person if you feel comfortable doing so because you're already there right you're already here but um and you don't have to spend any extra money and then maybe you know some certain people just like you know having that experience of going but uh, it'll be hard to convince some bosses, I think, to spend that money. So it'll be an interesting, interesting year. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, even if we don't get accredited, I will go see some stuff in person because um, I did miss out on that last year. Like I enjoyed watching everything digitally with you. Um, and I'm sure if there's a hybrid model this year, like I still will choose to just watch some stuff at home. But it really depends on, you know, how often we go in or how many press screenings, how it's all going to work. Like that's all a mystery as well, right? Like I'd assume you'd have to book tickets this year. It's not just going to be line up at the theater. Yeah. And what, what is, what is going to, is there going to be something like can where like you have to be tested uh, every two days or um, you you have to show proof of vaccination. Well, you do to enter the country. So any international press would have to be vaccinated. Well, I'm talking more to enter even like a theater or like a screening, like a TIFF press screening. I don't think that, you know, in the general public, you're going to have to have any of that. Right. So, um, I don't know what about the P and I's and stuff like that would be different. Um, but you'd assume that much like when we would have to book our public tickets with our press badges or our industry badges that we'll probably have to book in-person screenings. I'm assuming like that you'd have to do it that way. I I just can't imagine them just saying everyone show up at the theater and the first amount of people get in or whatever. But Georgie, what's up? I don't know if you can hear her meowing, but um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I I have no idea. Um, Stop. She's going behind my TV. Yeah, what? What? What's going she on? She wants us to talk about uh, the big red one, and I'm not referring yeah, we'll, to the Sam Fuller movie. We'll get there. Um, but let's just get into it then, uh, uh, unless you had anything to comment on there. No, I'm good. Okay, cool. So let's get into TIFF Talk uh, 2021. So, um, you know, it's our favorite time of the year. Obviously, you can tell how excited we are as we're leading up into it and, and being able to actually go back in person this year. So um, this past week, um, TIFF announced their first batch of galas and special presentations. Uh, we knew some of these films based on a small announcement that TIFF did a, a few weeks back. Um, but um, we got kind of not a complete list, but a, a good amount of uh, things, including their closing and openers, as well as uh, some surprises in there as Eric kind of teased. So we did go, uh, we did re- like read through them and ask Kevin and Ree what their thoughts were this year on the show um, on TIFF. Sorry, I keep getting distracted by this fucking cat. Georgie, what are you doing? <laughs> She's uh, so my sister. Um, I bought her a harness for Georgie, um, uh, which lets her take her outside with like a leash. Um, and now she's just obsessed with wanting to go outside. So she's like walking to the doors and meowing and clawing under the door because she wants to go sit outside. Um, and as she's probably going to come over here now, annoy me. What are you doing? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Um, so Tiff, uh, announced their galas and special presentations. So we'll go through them and kind of just have a conversation, Eric. So, uh, the galas, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, uh, Walt Becker's Clifford, the big red dog. Um, the opening night film is going to be Stephen Chabotsky, Chabosky's, um, uh, dear Evan Hansen. 
Um, you got uh, Will Sharp's The Electrical Life of Louis uh, Wayne. Um, Allison Clayman's Jagged. Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Uh, Melanie Laurent's The Mad Woman's Ball. Denis Goulet's, uh, Denis Goulet's uh, Night Raiders. Uh, uh, Zhang Yimou's One Second. Barry Levinson's The Survivor. Those are your galas. Special presentations. You have Cleo Barnard's Ali and Ava. Everyone's favorite thing is me trying to read people's names. I've done a pretty good job, I think, so far. Uh, yes, but, you've done very uh, well. Uh, usually, this I always Alex uh, messages us, Alex Reno, and says, "Matt, you killed me trying to pronounce everyone's names." So I, I hope I'm trying to I'm trying to do a better job. Uh, Michael McGowan's All My Puny Sorrows. Terrence Davies' Benediction. Mia Hansen loves Bergman Island. Eric Warren and Tahir Reyna's Charlotte. Uh, Dave Woolley's Dion Warwick, Don't Make Me Over. Uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. Uh, Michael Pierce's um, Encounter. Michael Showalter's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Anton Fuqua's The Guilty. Maria Schrader's I'm Your Man. Fabrice Duell's Inexorable. Uh, Philip Noyce's Lakewood. Uh, Bent Hamer's The Middleman, uh, Mariano Cohn and Gaston Dupre's Official Competition. Uh, we have Jacques Audiard. Uh, Jacques Audiard. Uh, Jacques Audiard. Ah, fuck, I knew it was Jacques. Why'd I say that? There we go. Uh, Paris 13th District. Uh, Celine Scamma, uh, Siama. 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 Celine, Celine Siama's Petite Maman. Uh, Theodore Melfi's The Starling. Uh, oh gosh, Adilko and Yeti's uh, "The Story of My Wife," uh, Nani Moretti's Three Floors," Justine Bateman's "Violet," and uh, Joaquin Trier's "The Worst Person in the World." I think I did a pretty good job. You did. I stumbled on a few on uh, the French er- names. Yeah, <laughs> of, ironically, the French names, and I took you know nine years of French or whatever. And also, we're in a country um, that's bilingual. When it, yeah, like our second language is French. <laughs> yeah, but do I remember any of it? No. no. To, to be fair, it's it, and the only reason I know it is because I've pronounced them over and over again for multiple movies, and they're also just really great filmmakers. So, um, and I'm usually pretty good. Like yeah. I know, but no, that was that was much smoother. Actually, I'm not pretty good usually. No, no, that was that was like an eight out of ten at least. Thank you. I'll take an yeah. eight. That's you know my whole life getting. You if know, Alex a, Reno a, messages you and a, says you did a shit job this time around, I, I think you have more than enough to defend yourself. Uh, a B plus. Yeah. Um, Eric, your thoughts on the lineup so far? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, we already got some confirmation on certain films like Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. Yeah, and then, I mean, the other thing we should also quickly mention is that even though that's not on, it's not on the list. Dune is oh, still playing. Yeah. Um, as, it's a special event, yes. which is why it was not included with the galas and the special presentations. Which I can understand why there was a little bit of confusion with that as well. It's like, oh, why is Dune? Is it not playing? Now they should have the just put another category that said special events yeah. and put Dune in there. And yeah. I mean, Denny Villeneuve is also getting one award at the at the festival this year. So yeah. it's, yeah, it, it is playing at Cinesphere. It's just, it's not in the galas or special presentations. Um, but yeah. As, I think as, that's a way that they don't have to put it on the digital platform. Either, yeah. And, right? and I think yeah. that's, you know, partly to, to Denny Villeneuve's sort of agreement to do this. Um, but yeah, we already knew about, you know, Edgar Wright's movie, which will, you know, that'll be an interesting as one, uh, one as well in terms of like, will that, 
be a digital screener or theater only because Edgar Wright's been very adamant about. I know. I think it will be. I'm going to predict that it probably will be on the platform. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where like you look at focus features, they have been, you know, pretty open to it. Yeah. And especially with um, like even, you know, after Sundance buying um, the Sparks Brothers doc, which also is an Edgar Wright movie and sort of streaming it on mostly every um, festival platform it's played since to its its release um and then i still think he'll say the best way to see it is in a theater sure but, sure, I think but it is a little strange because edgar i mean we've talked about this as well this is edgar wright's first time at the festival so you'd think it like and he is a filmmaker that does have enough clout to control you know his films where like someone like michael Schulwalter, who has a kind of prestigious movie with the eyes of tammy Faye, um you know will be at the mercy of you know searchlight and disney and you know with them but they were open with it with nomad Nomad land Land. yeah Yeah. so they'll they'll probably do the streaming thing there as well especially Um, because that movie comes out like a week or so later yeah so it will be interesting to see like which ones are not available to stream but last year it was only like a couple well you had the halle berry movie which still has not come out netflix bought that and i think they're retooling it or reshaping it um yeah you also had um uh i care a lot the uh the roseman pike movie that didn't did it it didn't play no, on no, the digital it, platform it was, we got a um on the press screener yes. right but yeah and i think the father was another one as well or no it had like a weird window didn't or like it? a five like, hour window or something yeah like, like that. certain movies had like you didn't get the full day or two days or whatever it was yeah, like some of them had, had to like watch it like within or four yeah. hours between like when it when it was available to start to um finish, finish. Yeah. yeah um so that will be interesting as well to kind of like follow that where um and there's also a lot of black and white movies as well like belfast you know sir kenneth brana kind of hopefully trying to do some damage control with you know his last movie being artemis fowl um and his next movie being... yeah and his next movie <laughs> kind of being in limbo right now yeah. because of you know some problematic people um and then uh barry levinson's uh the survivor is also in black and white um yeah it's 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 this interesting mix of films that have already played at festivals like berlin like south by southwest like cam and then a couple of movies that um will probably also end up playing you know at venice or telluride as well um but it's kind of a nice kind of mesh of things like there's not you know we've we've been able to attend a couple festivals now so it's not like um you know we haven't seen anything but i thought there would be more overlap like i thought there would be more stuff that we we would be seeing that you know we saw at sundance like i thought like pleasure would be in that grouping of of films or something like yeah that. you thought maybe sundance and can stuff but maybe because can is just ra- was just wrapping up they at the didn't time want to feel like... like they were just doing can adjacent movies because mm-hmm. most likely t10 will be there and there will be you know red rocket and and you know a hero like all of those movies are from you know festival friendly filmmakers that have had films play at tiff and have been sort of highlights of the festival in previous years so it it would make sense to have those movies come into play and then also like films that you know that haven't shown up anywhere like i think you know uh the the most noticeable one is is 
Ruben Oslin's The Triangle of Sadness, which yeah. hasn't shown up anywhere yet. So it might not even be a film that you know plays the festival circuit until Cannes next year. Um, if it if it didn't show up at Cannes this year, and and you know it's it's been done, so he's probably still tinkering away uh, with it, uh, you know, in the editing process. If it's if it hasn't shown up anywhere yet. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I thought there may might be more canned stuff. I know some people were a little disappointed with with you know the announcement in general being like there wasn't you know uh, you get things like obviously Clifford is funny that it's playing like that's just like a, a yeah fun but look gag, at the, look, but like, I think it's I think it's to bring out families and oh to, totally I I totally understand it yeah yeah like I said like um sing played in a special presentation uh or a gala a couple years ago we've seen other family films once in a while pop up and especially being a year when you're trying to bring people back to the festival and things like that i think it's actually kind of smart to have you know a, a family focused film as a gala as a big event that you can bring yeah kids to go out as to commercial like, as possible yeah. like it like it's you know people like the the and dear Evan Hansen kind of falls in the same thing of being you know but dear Evan Hansen com- does feel like a movie that would play at TIFF anyways if it was sure, opening agree, in yeah. the fall like no was, that's not as surprising as Clifford no, no, for no. sure and I mean it is it, I mean it's it is the first musical since score a hockey musical to, to open, open the, the fest. festival <laughs> yeah. so take that as as what you will but um yeah like dear Evan Hansen I wasn't really necessarily as surprised like Clifford just being, you know, based on, you know, this Hasbro thing and the E1 thing and all that kind of stuff and, and where that is, it's, I guess it's kind of a little bit more odd. Um, but again, like, as you mentioned, there's, there's been plenty of kids fair. Um, they used to have the a years. whole kids section, right? Yeah. But well, they, they kind of got they rid even of it. Had, like sprockets, right? Like, yeah. Like that was kind of like a big thing where like, it was like a festival outside of TIFF, but it was TIFF sponsored and, you know, they would have stuff that was geared towards sort of young adults and, and children and, and, you know, bringing Clifford in, it, it gets sort of a, a part of the community that maybe can't go and see some of the other stuff, you know, um, and again, like I understand from a commercial standpoint where TIFF is coming from, where like, you know, they can they can actually make some money, you know, playing this film at the festival. And I've always defended that of being it is a festival that has a little bit of everything, right? Like the, they have some populist stuff. They have some art house stuff. They have some, you know, classic festival, you know, uh, awards kind of stuff. And like and that's what I've always liked about TIFF is like when you call it the People's Festival um you know you have a little bit for anyone and that's why the clifford thing as funny as it is at first glance you know you kind of understand it like i joked a few weeks back when the clifford trailer came out because i saw the september 17th release date saying it would open the festival which it did not but it is playing the festival which was surprising (laughs) and um but you know after you think about it I, i i totally you know in a year where you need a bounce back you didn't have I mean, you had some in-person screenings, but you really want to bring people out to the festival this year. I think something like Last Night in Soho is obviously, you know, huge to have because Edgar Wright, super popular filmmaker that kind of transcends that, you know, the the film Twitter crowd as well as like a mainstream crowd as well. And then you have some big name filmmakers with, you know, Kenneth Branagh, Barry Levinson, uh, you know, some n- known 
Anton Fuq was the guilty, right? Which will be more of a, you'd assume a populist kind of. Well, it's also um, a remake of a film that was already yeah. very popular to begin with. So that exactly. might actually go so, against it though a little bit sure. as well for like the film, film people. That's but what I mean. If it has like, Jake Gyllenhaal who will be on camera, but voices from, you know, people like Bill Burr to Riley Keough to Paul yeah. Dano, you know, like that will have people interested. So, you know, like when you're thinking about, you know, your programming, you, I mean, they always think about having movie stars on the red carpet. Or, oh, you got or, or to, I think, Hall, right? Like, yeah. Hollywood there as much as like, you know, you're going to get a crowd of people that want, and it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm sure it will probably pop up is something like, you know, a pitch upon uh, Cool's yeah. uh, Memoria, where like, that's a very esoteric yeah. filmmaker who, you know, goes to a certain crowd, but that's not going to draw in a lot of people. No, Even that's, with I, Tilda Swinton in it. It does. It, yes. You know. And I feel like you can have both filmmakers like Fuqua and him on the same. You can just call him Joe. Yeah, uh, Joe, that's easier. Um, uh, on the same program, and it kind of makes sense for TIFF, and they've stayed pretty consistent with that of having you know a, a mix of fare for everyone. And I think you're kind of seeing that in this first list, like with the eyes of Tammy Faye with Michael Showalter's film, like being you know that more kind of awardsy kind of thing that you'd expect to play the festival that like i think when we all saw that trailer was like yeah that'll show up at the fest and like yeah from what's missing yeah a lot of the can stuff like will wes anderson's french dis- dispatch play the festival anderson stuff doesn't usually play tiff i don't or it think. could skip like, tiff and go to um, telluride and new or york. new york yeah. yeah because like that i mean we already saw that with uh joel cohen's uh macbeth which is also in black um, right? the tragedy of macbeth yes with the tragedy Washington of macbeth and yeah it's mcdormand uh, so we saw that is skipping TIFF, which the it's not Cohen brothers, but you know it's one of the Cohen brothers. Um, <laughs> we got one of them. Uh, we got yeah. Joel, which and, I'm sure that's going to be an interesting conversation to have. Where like, why you know is Joel not, or why is Ethan not a part of this? Um, but then like even like the rumors behind something like Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, where it's like. If it's done, seems like that's going to show up at New York though too. Yeah, and that are, right? and, and if that's going to be exclusive because you know the last time Paul Thomas Anderson kind of ro- rolled out the red carpet with one of his films, festival wise, the master was the master, right? and the master yeah. did play at TIFF. You know? Yeah, so I could see Soggy Bottom showing up at both, but um, if it is called that, still, or even yeah. Guillermo del Toro's movie, you know, Nightmare yeah. Alley, where like. It's heavily it, rumored as well. It right? might not be finished or he might be retinkering it or what have you. Like you also have to consider that as well, just because it's been a year and a half doesn't necessarily mean the movie's done. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation, you know, with the green Knight coming out that David Lowry re-edited a large During portion the pandemic, of yeah. the film. And and so, you know, the pandemic has given filmmakers more time for better or worse to, to overthink it, to yeah. overthink <laughs> things or maybe to better just, structure something. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Like, um, Again, they said there's going to be 150 plus films, I think, this year at the festival. So Gotta catch obviously, them all. obviously, yeah, <laughs> obviously much less than they normally do, but more than last year. Um, but that's still a lot. Like, I mean, like yeah. even last year when there was only sort of a handful, 50, right? I mean, was there yeah. only like 50 something? I mean, we still, you know, watched quite a bit and and that wasn't even taking into consideration the the stragglers or the things we caught up with uh with cinefest which you know came afterwards which you know for people living in ontario if if you miss something at tiff and it's available to watch digitally again i don't know what cinefest plans are but that was yeah that was 
you know, worth our time. And that would, that yeah. should be worth your time. Again, that's also province based. So like, you know, people internationally, unfortunately, or even nationally, you know, can't get it unless they're in Ontario. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see what else shows up. Like um, I know usually, you know, after that first announcement of galas and special presentations, they usually have like a secondary one and then they kind of have stragglers near the end that they add. Um, yeah. We haven't gotten really a lot and, when it comes to like nothing, even though like Peter Kapowski does program stuff outside yeah. of midnight madness. Like what's that going to be? Is T10 going to play there because raw played there or are we going to get stuff that is more commercially sort of sound in sort of individual sections? Like is something like antlers going to play uh, at midnight madness? Because I know yeah. a lot of people, you know, especially like Fox or Disney now, but Disney Fox, you know, the way that, you look at something like the empty man sort of being scuttled in August of last year when theaters were kind of open, but then closed and Disney didn't know what to do with that movie. If that film had been held off until TIFF and had maybe some of the critical praise that it got there, maybe that release of that film would have worked a little bit better. And I almost feel it's the same thing with antlers, even with Guillermo del Toro as an executive producer where it's almost you know, Antlers, The Empty Man, and Ravenous are just movies that Fox doesn't know what to do what with. What to do with, yeah. So, I mean, it would work with that crowd, right? Or do we even see something like Halloween Kills, which is already confirmed for Venice and, you know, the 2018 Halloween. Was it 2018? Yeah. yeah. Right? Uh, played at midnight. So do you continue that and play its sequel um, at midnight as well, right? Like, do you continue that and try to play that whole new trilogy at the fest, which I think could be fun? Or did you already get that out of the way with the first one that, you know, maybe it's a little derivative to play this, uh, the sequel, but again, at, it's going to get people to go, or it's going to get people to mm. buy a ticket to that film because it's already a very established franchise and people are interested in it. So there is a commercial sort of aspect to consider when when you know programming that or is there something else that's opening around that time like it's it's weird that like warner brothers and warner brothers does sometimes do this but um i gotta pee keep talking yeah yeah if they had saved malignant till uh sort of the end of september or even mid-september if it opened the second week instead of it like opening as the festival begins that could have been something commercially sort of uh sound and also james wan having been at the festival more than once and so like it, it, you, you kind of have to think like you know is there going to be more of that commercial angle or are certain sort of categories going to go with sort of maybe more discovery stuff stuff that you know doesn't have any sort of you know festival connection already or something that might be completely off the radar and that is that is you know, not what you're expecting. Um, but there are certain films that are most likely going to play at the festival because, you know, they've played at Cannes or Sundance already and have kind of garnered, garnered a little bit of a reputation. But especially with Sundance stuff, it's good to kind of bring them back into the conversation if they're going to be awards movies or if they're going to be, you know, critical films to kind of keep an eye on. Again, something like Pleasure, which kind of feels like A24 would be wise to kind of reintroduce that back into the conversation um, this year. And all, like, you know, we talked about it in our Zola review where like, you know, a24 has certain things that it's like markers with them um but with uh with pleasure zola and red rocket it seems like they're being very adult themed or oriented yeah. to, uh you know this fall um 
so or like even stuff that played outside like neon has so many movies that played can or that they bought during can or after can like some that that are playing you know you mentioned the walking uh true movie with the world's worst person which i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about and things like that where um it just makes sense that something like that would play there because he's been at the festival before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think who else has movies coming out that have played the festival before that you could see show up. Like, I don't think there's any chance you see Chloe Zhao's Eternals. Like, no, I just, or even uh, like Top Gun Maverick. Like, nothing yeah. like that would would ever play the festival. And like, you have to almost think of like something that's maybe like mid tier commercial. If if you're thinking of, like I wouldn't put it against based. Peter to program Jackass Forever at midnight. Oh God, like, that would be so good. I, wouldn't it be so much fun? Like, I would have that to whole go cast. to that. Like, like that. Like, yeah. like Dune, I guess, is for most people like the, yeah. the hot ticket film right now and and maybe you know edgar writes last night in soho but if peter played jackass forever i guarantee that film that experience would be one for the books it just you gotta think he's looking at it like i don't know if peter is a, a jackass fan or not but um being it, its last hurrah for that group of guys and like i think feel like that would be a riot at midnight like it's such if an interactive sort of experience watching one of those movies because you're completely captivated by how you know idiotic these guys are and that's what i mean and having a festival premiere for that movie like a red carpet and a big premiere whether it's at princess of wales or roy thompson hall or something like that yeah not well doing... it's like borat right when, yeah. like borat yeah. played midnight madness it was kind of a spectacle onto itself but there is kind of an art quality to jackass not in just the set design but we talked about this on the last episode or the last draft as well where with kevin and Rhea. Yeah. yeah there is this kind of weird sort of like artsy kind of um, you know, uh, Apu trilogy, uh, yeah. the Up series, where you're looking at these guys getting older now. So there's this melancholy nostalgia to it all. Yeah. That kind of almost feels like that could fall into line with like quote unquote like you know art house cinema, but for idiots. And that's why I think it would work for Midnight at yeah. TIFF, right? Like I know none of the other Jackass movies had, but I don't know when their release dates were. Um, but I just think like if I was gonna program something commercial or I guess Halloween kills would be where my head goes first. Or like you said, does I mean, Titan is not commercial in any sense, but um, it could be but, now because of the, because of the Palm door win yeah. and because and of parasite last year and yeah. Like, and neon yeah. backing it again. And, and like, it could have all the right, but I could also see them just wanting to go special presentation, even though I think like Peter would probably still kind of be heading. But that because film. it won the palm, like it's definitely yeah. probably prestige be in horror, special. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably going to be in uh in a special presentation, but it still could be midnight. Like I wouldn't rule it out either. Like I could still see them doing like, it could almost be like, remember with seven psychopaths where that was like this weird, like premium right. midnight madness uh screening so so it has the elements of being you know the art house horror movie that plays yeah and you have some other tiff regulars making big movies like i don't think you see jason reitman's ghostbusters afterlife you won't see chloe Zhao's eternals you mentioned scott cooper maybe though just because of his affiliation with the festival like i don't think so either i don't think it's going i just think that it's just too commercial too big and i agree yeah but if if one of those films were to happen the reitman factor kind of plays a role like i could see that happening yeah nightmare alley uh, uh i still think will show up if it's finished um especially with the success of um uh 
why am I thinking of Lady in the Water, not Lady in the Water, The Shape of Water. The Shape of Water, um, or even Pan's Labyrinth, or, yeah. you know, like, again, Guillermo loves Toronto. I mean, the movie was shot mm. in Toronto. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of almost like a comeback tour in a weird way for him. Mm-hmm. I'm also so, just yeah. kind of looking at our um, our most anticipated films list to see if there's right, anything yeah. there. I'm just going to look that up right now. Yeah, please do. Um, but it's always my favorite time to speculate what will show up and, and it being another interesting year. Because again, they're doing the drive-in screenings again. They're doing the in-person screenings. They're doing those outdoor screenings where you sit in the pods. Like, and and I talked about it before where I like I hope that kind of continues. Like even when things go back to normal, like creating this big festival. Like I think they started it with Festival Street, right? Yeah, but to move Festival Street down to Ontario Place and then using Ontario Place, both the Cinesphere, the the parking lot for drive-ins, and then kind of having that waterfront outdoor screening area. Like, I think that's a that's really cool. And you create like a different, unique experience at TIFF and give people the options of you can have the prestigious premiere at the fancy theater or you can have the outdoor screening or you can have the drive-in or the IMAX screening or the light box or, or watching it at home like maybe the digital stuff goes away once we get back to a completely normal um kind of state of things but um, I hope some of these other elements uh, are here to stay. But it also, really. again, opens the festival experience up to people that might not be able to go physically. And you get interesting perspectives and reviews and articles from those who, you know, might not have the the funds and, and, and not even press, but just people in general, too. Well, right. Yeah. Like yeah. Outside and, of Toronto. And, and again, like, I think that's wonderful as well, because as much as we love the festival experience, like in person and being in an environment that showcases a film for the first time, or, you know, uses the best sound and best masking and everything possible to make the experience, you know, uh, one of, of worthwhile and just why we love going to the movies. You also have to understand that not everybody has those opportunities and to open it up to those people, is a wonderful thing is a benefit to the festival is a benefit to the culture and 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 love of movies because i think that you know when you hear the same 20 people regurgitating their thoughts and feelings on something it's nice to get a different perspective and it doesn't change the experience for somebody that's on the ground level you know it, it just it, it opens it up and it opens it up to everybody so like you know this idea of that, you know, the only way to experience a festival is by being there and to do anything necessary to do it, even if that means going into debt or, you know, sleeping on the street is ridiculous. Yeah, like that's yeah, I agree. like if you have the opportunity to watch stuff digitally, cool. Go for good, it. Good movie is good movie. Yeah. Maybe you're missing out a little bit on the experience, but uh it's really in the end about the movies, right? So yeah, like that's the movies. Uh, yeah, so I have my uh, I have the list up here as well. So I mean, obviously, some of the stuff like card counters coming out before the festival, right before, which I think is going um, to play at Venice. That's yeah. been the rumor. On, on, unless <laughs> unless Focus Features decides yeah. to bury Card Counter, but I also feel like <clears throat> again, you have a movie star like Oscar Isaac in it and things like that. It's going to be hard to bury, but we still haven't even now we still haven't gotten uh, a trailer or anything. So if we don't get, so the week that we're recording, this is the week that Stillwater comes out, which is a focus features film. So if we don't get anything from Stillwater this week, (laughs) I have a feeling that, that 
the focus features will probably try to bury it or try yeah. to move it to some other time or because it's get- what Paul Schrader. Which version of Paul Schrader are we getting to? Right? right, like the filmmaker, not the human. Yeah, but- the human. Well, that's the well, that's the bigger problem. Yeah. I, I I think that is so. For people that don't know, Paul Schrader has been very vocal on uh, social Facebook. media, <laughs> Facebook specifically, uh, old white man uh, rants, yeah. and you know take that as you will but he has been saying a lot of stuff that it's like it's like okay paul we get it you're not pc you're going against the cloth you know you're an old white dude you're an old white dude okay but you also realize that you know you're trying to sell a movie and you know this isn't gonna go well paul schrader is your uncle that you always have to listen to at like a family event who just happened to also be a filmmaker that makes like yeah movies and it's almost like you kind of want to respect him because he's done good work and he's still capable of doing good work but But he shoots himself in the the foot foot, and you're just like paul what are you doing like you yeah just shut up dude and even though they tell him PR team listen to the focus features people see this is why social media is not good for everybody yeah yeah because i feel like it's just him bored at home being like what can I say to rile people up so I can get more attention? Yeah. And that he's just continuously doing it, even though he's like, I have to take a break because focus told me to take a break, but he did not. not. No. <laughs> so it's just like, all right. So they're probably like, Oh Christ. And like after first reformed, I think everyone is very excited to see, you know, card counter and, um, it just yeah it's coming out before the fest but then i'll go through the stuff that's already playing the fest and eric you could bring up some of the other stuff so like dune obviously confirmed for the the festival last night in soho which is on our most anticipated is uh also confirmed for the festival and then we have um you know a bunch of other stuff that's either coming out before with like green knight candy man we've already seen f9 um spiral annette um uh, i mean annette is could play the fest right no it's august it's an august release. oh it is oh right it's coming out on amazon in a couple weeks yeah. right yeah yeah i keep forgetting that i keep thinking it's a october release um so yeah annette won't play the festival because we should get that uh, benedetta soon. might though yeah i could see benedetta showing up we've already talked about friends french dispatch um blonde is blonde gonna be next year again well, blonde or? was so blonde did screen for can uh, Terry Fremo did see the film and was willing to screen it uh, out of competition, but Netflix said no way, Jose. Uh, and it was the so same I could the, see it the Jane Champion then. movie as well, yeah. uh, Power of the Dog, which is I think it's playing Venice. Thing, yeah, I think it's um, that which was also weird because Jane Champion was the only other female director to win the Palm Door in the right. in the in can history so a film that was done and actually did screen for uh the can programmers was rejected solely on it being a netflix film because because they would only play it out of competition yeah but for jane that champion reason, right? wanted it to play in competition and rightfully so because i mean if you're going to have a filmmaker who's won the palm door previously and also the only woman to win the palm door before yeah. t10 um why why would you do that and yeah. the only reason is is because of netflix and like yeah. I, I know like terry fremo keeps making jokes about it but like that guy is also just he's basically living in the past like he's yeah, just one of those guys yeah. where it's just like what are you what are you doing terry yeah and and netflix is making a comeback to the fall festival circuit yeah. because last year they skipped it entirely so well the starling um, and uh the guilty are are yeah. netflix films that are so you could see there. 
so you could see those show up. I wouldn't be surprised at all because Netflix has always had a pretty good relationship with uh, the Toronto Film Festival. So, uh, although there were that uh, f- a few controversies of playing their movies at you know Cineplex theaters and things like that, but that but might I mean, change because look because now Cineplex like Bo Burnham's Inside well, is playing, inside, like, but also yeah. when theaters kind of opened again in the fall of last year, they were playing the tri- the trial of because they were desperate right yeah and yeah so they were playing netflix films and they were being hypocritical so you know like well will that will that i mean the control has been taken away from the theater owners right and is taking kind of back into the hands of the distributors and like um it's interesting will that continue i mean we're already seeing it with you know something like bo burnham's inside playing as well as like again not a film per se a special event kind of thing but um are we going to see more and more Netflix stuff pop up in theaters because they just want butts in the seats and give people options. Right. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting. And then uh, we talked about soggy bottom T 10. I doubt uh, other things, unbearable weight of massive talent is coming out before the festival. Is it though? Uh, Is it still scheduled to come out? I thought it was. I thought it was uh, moved till next oh, year. Oh, was it? Okay, which, maybe. if it's moved to next year, it could play Midnight Madness. Oh, it does look like it was moved to next year. I thought it was. Uh, uh, that's my bad. I thought it was. Um, it was originally, I think, in August, wasn't it, or something? Yeah, or, or even the sp- spring yeah. or summer of this year. But I, I've heard, like Nicholas Cage was talking about it during the uh, press rounds for Pig, and he was saying that he he has no interest in watching the film because he just doesn't want to. He just can't see himself. See himself. himself. Yeah. Um, um, but he was saying that people are telling him it's good, so I could see Peter looking into that one as well because again, Nick and, Cage is a staple of Midnight mm-hmm. Madness, especially in the last few years with the you know the Color of Space and um, yeah. Mom and Dad. So if it's done, and you know, I think it's Lionsgate that has it. Um, that could be a possibility if it's if but then i could see it popping up at sundance or something too if it is next year yeah or... but sundance it it doesn't like it doesn't feel like an art film like it feels like that kind no, of no like, but sometimes you do movie. get yeah i don't know but like, it's I just, not a spike jones film you know it's it's i thought it, the premise is eccentric enough but like i don't yeah maybe uh or maybe south by southwest next year if it gets pushed later into the year that makes more sense to me but um the Northman, uh, probably not because it's next year. And right? they're also doing reshoots. Um, right. So they had some, um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, public screenings? Like, uh, um, what's the word that I'm looking Test for? Test screenings. Test screenings. And apparently uh, it wasn't tracking well. So Focus Features is letting, uh, letting quote unquote, Robert Eggers do some reshoots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've been, so that won't be done until the spring of next year. So, earliest for that would probably be we would be sundance if if yeah kind of would make sense just because the witch is where that's where robert eggers trajectory started with his feature length that's what i thought and then you have like the the link later movie and the george miller movie both probably going to be next year as well right i don't know about apollo 10 and a half because i think it's done but i don't know what the post-production on that is going to be like um, 3000 years of longing the George Miller movie is going to MGM is waiting until next year yeah. um, and then triangle of sadness is the is the one that you would think like oh that's that's something that would play but I think it would have played can first so <laughs> you know whether or not it's ready to go is the question which probably it isn't um, and then looking at the bond movie no time to die 
I mean, I'm sure any festival would would love want to, have to it. program yeah. it, but it, that's it doesn't need it does it would only do it unless like it felt like oh it's an awards film or something yeah. like that. It doesn't need the attention. It it's it's almost like we're doing you a favor and not the opposite yeah. way around where I think Warner brothers is so confident in Dune and probably it's part of the marketing thing and part of positioning it as an awards movie to have that premiere both at Venice and Toronto. Well, right? it's also they're nervous, right? Because yeah. they want the publicity to be positive going in there. Cause so I'm they- sure they're confident that the movie is good. They're probably not confident that it will land with a mainstream audience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, which is why they're showing it at these festivals and stuff like that to hopefully get word of mouth out there that it's um that it's hopefully good. From the twenty minutes we saw, it looks pretty good, but who knows until you see the movie. So. But it's still a hard sell. That's yeah. So that's the mainstream stuff, and then like when you talk, I mean, you already brought up a lot of the can stuff, and we'll see layover. But then the other interesting tidbit, which we already brought up, the tragedy of Macbeth, is yeah, what what ends up being exclusive to Venice uh, or what ends up being exclusive to uh, the New York film festival. That's usually, or even Telluride. Yeah. Telluride. Most things that show up at Telluride, I feel like show up at TIFF. Like not always time. I know the odd time you get something that doesn't, but like Birdman um, skipped Toronto went from Telluride to New York. Well, that's what I mean. It's usually Telluride. It shows up. Yeah, Telluride, the movies usually show up at one of the other three big festivals, but I feel like all of their movies usually show up at other places, but sometimes they do skip tip, yeah. So I don't know what the centerpiece and the closing film for New York will be, but um, a lot of the times, like, one of those three is carryover from TIFF, and, like, one or two of them is usually exclusive to New York, right? Right. Um, So it really just depends on what it is like we already know the cohen movie is exclusive to them it's a world premiere um and then you can kind of see in some of the wording like last night in soho changed from a world premiere to a north american premiere so venice probably venice it, it it'll show up at venice most likely um so you can kind of see in the wording of things um when it's like depending if it's a north american premiere a world premiere um if it's exclusive to the festival or if it's going to show up somewhere else, but thankfully Clifford, the big red dog world premiere. So good to know. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's my favorite time of the year. I, I'm, I love seeing what Peter programs for midnight madness. So I, I hope that comes soon. Um, the full schedule I think is dropping late August. I think it's the 20, fourth uh, let me just confirm that as we're talking um but yeah it's um you know later than we usually actually usually july is when we start to get the movies so we're, i don't feel we're too off uh, it's just that with this year and last year it, it hasn't been sort of as scheduled where like usually mm-hmm. they kind of give you a lot of time in advance it's like every couple of weeks we'll be dropping like this section of films or this where it's almost like yeah, around here is when we're going to do it. And they just kind of drop the press release and the announcement, you know, when they can. And and again, like, we're not going to see, we probably won't see a movie like Nomadland play every single festival this year around. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, it's not. Well, that was their, like, that was like their combined kind of thing last year, right? Like, they yeah, were that all was working festival together. Force five. <laughs> Well, now they're all against each other again. Well, so. they're not. I don't think they're really against I know, I, each other. It's I'm more joking. so it's like it, it's just every festival for itself. 
mm-hmm. um, than anything else. But because last year was a, a special circumstance in terms of where we were. But it was kind of nice to see like everybody kind of working together and being on that same page of trying to help each other out with sort of, you know, each festival kind of progressing. But usually what happens, I mean, like it, it in years past, there's been the kind of spat between Tiff and Telluride and things like that. And, um, you know, this year it just, again, kind of seems like, you know, let's just keep this about sort of what we can get, you know, what we can play at the festival and, and you know, take it from there. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other titles that are bigger titles that have played, as we already mentioned, Sundance and Can that are still to come and probably some stuff that, that isn't even on uh, our, our radar. radar. Yeah. yeah. So that will just pop up and surprise us all. Right. So, um, cool. Pretty pumped for it. I think, yeah, I didn't get the exact date. I saw it. I don't know where Um, I'm missing that now, but I believe it's late August. The schedule comes out. So we should get a, couple more announcements i'm sure they'll just randomly drop on you know uh a a specific day (laughs) that they won't like like eric said like it was more scheduled being like july blank we're getting these movies july whatever we're getting these movies but now i feel like with many things during the you know the aftermath of the pandemic it's just i feel like you log online and something it's like oh shit there's announcements or they'll tell you the day before or something like that yeah or you'll yeah. get seven trailers for for movies in one day <laughs> on the same like, day. Who, does anybody Did talk they... to each other anymore when it comes no. to like sort of arranging this stuff? No, I do not think that they do. Uh, cool. So that concludes uh, some TIFF talk. Um, a nice hour and a bit of that. Um, anything new this week when it came? I mean, we just kind of covered uh, trailers, so you guys can check out our last episode um, where we kind of go over trailers for malignant jack as forever the last duel um uh, and more so go ahead and uh, turning red free guy um with deadpool and cord uh blue bayou and more um eric have you been watching anything since our last show you oh, watched you a couple things this, you know this weekend i yeah. have been binging uh, a combination of high art and trash <laughs> sweet uh, so yeah so uh, let me bring up my letterbox account here um Yesterday, I uh, did a very strange double feature of uh, Jolt with uh, Kate Beckinsale, which is essentially a riff on John Wick uh, and Atomic Blonde and a little bit of Crank for good measure. Um, Really immature surface level stuff that kind of tries to cut out... um, the excess or trim the fat of those kind of movies and just kind of get right into it. And it takes place in a very (laughs) heightened reality in general. Um, But overall I found it very uh, just not, I don't even say immature. I mean, I I wasn't really expecting much from that, but it it does have that level of, of immaturity that you would come to expect from one of those kind of movies. that sort of almost feels like a film that was made by an adolescent or at least written by one or the concept of it. And I mean, the whole idea is that Kate Beckinsale plays this character who has an impulse control problem and, you know, anything can sort of set her off at any moment. She's had this since she was a child and over the years, she's tried everything in terms of learning to adapt or sort of uh, hone those impulses. And the only thing that's kind of worked is she has this sort of device, um, sort of this, uh, uh, chest plate slash sort of vest 
that she wears that's hooked up to her body that every time she has one of these these urges she'll press it and he'll she'll be uh, electrocuted and that kind of will kill her sort of need to kill how's jai courtney oh jai courtney brings the jai courtney have you ever (laughs) wanted to see him go down on somebody oh i mean Um, yeah on kate beckinsale no yep okay it's uh it's good stuff good stuff into that um he's terrible though i don't i don't understand <laughs> he's so bland and he's so weird with glasses because he plays this account. so the the premise is that basically kate beckinsale's character um who doesn't really get along with anyone begins dating this accountant and she's only been on three dates with him but then he's killed and she goes on a revenge killing spree that leads her to sort of like this you know um top tier sort of arms dealer billionaire type and the idea like her going on this you know revenge quest after three dates is kind of like the joke but like on top of that it's like for jai courtney like there's nothing about him that's likable or like it's like you know what yeah i i I would you know try to defend or 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 revenge avenge jai courtney's death it's like (laughs) like i would get it if it was somebody it's like who like even in a short amount of time is able to sort of add a little something and he just doesn't um it's but it's amazing as well because he is so wooden uh as an actor um but i mean the cast for what it is it was shot in 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 the uk as well and and tanya wexler who directed the movie um directed a uh, biopic about the vibrator uh a few years ago and i was kind of thinking okay well like maybe she goes from sort of like a, a classic kind of like period piece kind of movie to something a little bit more sort of outside of like, you know, the classic British sort of stuffy period piece thing. And that's always kind of interesting to see if somebody can adapt. And obviously it it doesn't work here. And it just kind of feels very derivative to the point where like the movie even sets itself up for a sequel at the end. And it's like Amazon, like because it is an Amazon release, they could keep going with this stuff, even though like if it was released theatrically, because it's also um, co-financed by Millennium Films, um, it probably wouldn't make enough money to justify doing a sequel. But because Amazon has all the money in the world and, you know, <laughs> former uh, CEO Jeff Bezos sort of uh, I, I don't even know if he had anything to do with this. Probably not. But no, but I just you just think to yourself, say, well, why are they setting this up for a sequel if the world building in this film is just so asinine to begin with. And I, the one thing that is good about the film is Kate Beckinsale. Like she is so game for the role and she puts in yeah. everything. Like she wants it to work. She's there a hundred percent. But the other thing that drives me nuts about this, like we've talked about this with other movies where like the, the, the cheap cop out in a lot of films where it's like, it was all a dream or like, like the movie, oh, yeah. you know, like next with Nicolas Cage, where like the spoiler, alert, the whole film <laughs> doesn't actually happen. And it's like a premonition of what could happen. Um, there's a lot of scenes where like you're in the character's head and she's kind of thinking about how a scene could kind of play out. And right. there's a lot of that to the point where it's like you're questioning whether or not this is actually happening um, in the movie. And that becomes a bit of a, a, a tedious sort of exercise. Um, and, and I like Stanley Tucci as well, who plays a psychiatrist. He's, he's kind of good. I always like Stanley Tucci. Yeah. yeah. He's very level headed. Probably one of the few people that isn't sort of over exaggerated, but then you have like 
Bobby Cannavale and, and Laverne Cox playing like these sort of, you know, opposing detective types. And it just, it doesn't work. And it kind of feels like, again, like it's trying to build on what like John Wick has done already. And like the idea of it's trying to create a world out of nothing. And even before John Wick, I think like the movie that I actually kind of like, even though it, it does have problems and it's soured by its production history is the crow, something like that. Like you look at like early, late eighties, early nineties, sort of comic book adaptations with Batman, Dick <laughs> Tracy, the crow, um, Dick Tracy, like Dick Tracy specifically with the kind of the color palette, like this movie's very much drenched in neon, but it's not very good. It's yeah. Kate Beckinsale does what she can, but it's not enough. And it's just a shame that like, other than underworld, she hasn't really had another franchise. Cause no, I think she not is, really. she is really good to go for like something like she wants to keep going. And like, it's, it's awesome to see her do stuff like that. But like, I think she would be awesome in, you know, the fast and furious movies or something like that. Yeah. She would work in that franchise. I feel like, like she, she married place... to Len Wiseman or did they, get I think divorced? they got divorced. Yeah. Um, like she... she always showed up in his stuff, right? Yeah. Like in yeah, the horrible roles. remake of total recall yeah, and yeah, the underworld yeah. movies. He, him being a director and producer on those films. Um, she, the only thing she wasn't in was, it was live free or die hard, which Len Wiseman also directed. Right. Um, but I almost feel like you could make her Jason Statham's sister or something like that and be like, oh, the sister that I never talked about is also, you know, like a part of the family. And like she would right. feel perfectly. Another you know? sister? Because yeah. like it wasn't that all in home. Oh, yeah, right, right. Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby. Kirby. Right. But <laughs> yeah. then you could have another one or a cousin yeah, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. But but I feel like she would be a great addition into a like a like even John Wick. Like put yeah. her in a John Wick movie. Um like she she seems game for it. And it's just a shame that the movie itself isn't you know, on that level that she's on. Um, then I watched a Hungarian movie, which I really, really liked that. I missed at TIFF last year called preparations uh, to be together for an unknown period of time, um, which was actually kind of a nice change of pace after watching jolt, which is so kinetic and in your face and obnoxious where this is very subdued and minimalistic, but also kind of intriguing the idea that you have this neurosurgeon who is originally from Budapest, who went to work and live in New Jersey, comes back because she falls in love with a fellow doctor who lives in Budapest. Um, but when she meets him, uh, when they rendezvous or when they were supposed to meet, um, he doesn't recall ever meeting her. And right. it's basically this character coming back into the Hungarian um, sort of medical um, unit and sort of working her way back into this guy's life and trying to figure out like why this guy would say what he does and not acknowledging her and, and sort of, it's not necessarily a gaslighting thriller. It almost kind of feels like a Christian Petzold <laughs> movie uh, at times. Right. Um, but I really loved the look and feel of the movie and also Denny Villeneuve, like, like early Denny Villeneuve, like it kind of feels like this could have been it, like, if it had like a, a, a talking fish in it, it could have been sort of like a counterpiece to Maelstrom yeah. uh, in a weird way, but it has like that similar quality where like, there's this conventional sort of story that you're being told like Maelstrom, which is about sort of a, a hit and run sort of story that is fueled by revenge, but it kind of plays with the structure in a very subdued manner um, where this does the same thing. And I realize it won't probably be for everybody because it is a very slow movie and it's not necessarily one that is leading up to anything shocking or subversive. It's just kind of almost more of a weird sort of observational character study on people and sort of 
the reason why we do things or say things and sort of getting caught up in a situation and sort of where that goes. And it's just, it was refreshing to watch something that did a little, something a little bit different from what, you know, you would expect from certain genre elements. So I actually really liked it. It's, cool. it's now on um, uh, Amazon prime in Canada. Uh, and it's, uh, I thought it was really a solid little film and it shot on film as well, which is, is cool. I'd love to see it. Am I frozen for you? Yes, you are. Or no. Okay. Your, your, I... <laughs> your face is just like, yeah, I, I can see that. I can't refresh or else um, it'll probably fuck everything up. So you're just going to have to deal with my frozen dumbass face there as I <laughs> uh, uh, finish this up. It's just beautiful. Um, on my end, um, I watched a bit of the Disney Plus series Behind the Attraction, um, which I was hoping would be more like the Imagineering story, which was a wonderful um, docuseries. Uh, on Disney Plus that went into the Imagineers and how they come up with, you know, some of the things at Disneyland and Disney World and kind of um, the whole history of the Imagineers and and Disneyland and, and the parks and stuff like that. Um, really loved that series. So when Behind the Attraction uh, was put on my radar, I'm like, oh, great. It, it's going to be more of that. Um, I've only watched a bit of it and it's just not for me. Like um, I... I love Disney. I love Disney parks. Um, uh, I Nevis and I, you know, go every couple years and we have a blast even as adults. And I've talked about that experience being like, even, you know, as you know, someone who doesn't have kids and goes as, you know, a 30 plus year old man with his fiance, like, I still feel like you can have a blast at Disney parks from, cause they're so involved and so intricate and so detailed. And so just from an engineering standpoint, like just, marvels uh, of what they're doing at in some of these rides and um i thought we would get more of that in this but it honestly feels like the worst parts of disneyland and disney world where you like almost are like you're you're exhausted you're sweaty because it's so hot in florida and you see that uh the theater over there in the disney park that says behind the attraction of of uh of jungle cruise and uh you're like ah, okay i just want to get out of the heat for a bit there's no lineup over there let's go there and then you sit and watch like a presentation of like someone talking about the behind the scenes of, of jungle cruise. And like, that's what this felt like. And maybe it was more for kids or anything. And the jungle cruise episode really just felt like an advertisement for the movie. Um, but it was just like this woman's voiceover was like, and then, and like, it was just too almost like, like, I don't know how to even describe it, but it wasn't as much of a serious, docu-series rather than a like by golly everyone look at this ride and look at the cool behind the scenes of it and it was like kind of grating to the point where i'm like i can't watch this anymore and like i i kind of flipped on a couple of the different episodes but um it just ultimately didn't work for me and uh it felt like more of just an advertisement rather than an actual insight to some of these rides and i feel like maybe that was just from the structure of it and i just didn't Maybe it was it was more kid driven than something like Imagineering Story, which was a little bit more intricate. So uh, didn't really vibe with that. Uh, I mentioned a little bit of my impressions on Ted Lasso season two on the last episode. So you guys can go listen to that. Um, but I continuing on with that embargoed to talk about specifics, but we can talk about the new season. But it is on a week to week basis. I have, you know, 
it's just as good as the first season. It takes a few episodes, but I feel like it, uh, as we continue on, it's, it's getting better and better and it's just as wonderful as that first season. Um, so yeah, I've been watching a lot of TV and stuff, right? So, um, uh, I've been watching Master Chef. No, not Master Chef. Hell's Kitchen. Hell's Kitchen with Nevis. So Nevis does this once in a while where she'll have a show and she'll be like, "Can I just put it on?" And I'm like, "All right, I'll go on my phone. You can watch Hell's Kitchen. I don't care about this." And then you know when it catches your eye and you start watching a little bit it of it, and sucks you watch. You, in. you watch more and more, and then you've watched three episodes and you're like, "Well, now I gotta watch this season because I'm kind of invested just by half watching." So we've been watching a lot of Hell's Kitchen, not Master Chef. Sorry. And it's it's one of those shows that I haven't watched in a while that I'm like, it, it's just baffling to me because I don't know if it's satire or not, or if it's like just, or if it's like genuine, but the editing is so corny and the show is so corny that like, it's just, I, I can't tell if it's intentionally doing it or if it's genuine and it's just funny because it's unintentionally kind of really corny but well, how many seasons or um, what, what season are there's so now? it's like i think it's been on forever right i don't even know well but. there has to be kind of a a, a self-aware quality to the <laughs> format if it's been on for you know for so long for so long like i, I think when you're first starting any show and y- even if you still have like a format idea like even with narrative television or narrative or, or, or features even like if 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 a film is a franchise so like if you if you look at like but with series specifically reality or narrative you know it's like okay we have this idea but then you know when you get to you know season eight or nine especially of reality stuff i almost feel like it becomes sort of a parody of itself and it's almost like it, it, the the executives and the writers and the editors are almost embracing sort of that joke or the idea of like okay like every every scene will end on a cliffhanger before commercial break yeah and then, yeah you know, that like, kind of stuff is all throughout this yeah, yeah or or like we'll create drama the voiceover but, like yeah is or, ridiculous. or we'll have like characters or when i say characters like interview subjects or like yeah. subjects on the show uh doing sort of one-offs talking about like a beef that they have with another yeah exactly or yeah, like yeah that and like it's it, it becomes sort of the format as as you'd expect it would but it's almost like a, a snake eating its tail where like mm-hmm. the joke is just cyclical where it just becomes oh, its yeah. own weird sort and of gordon thing. ramsay has become his own caricature too yeah, right? in a brand. Like in a, i mean like he's yeah. like it's almost like keeping up with sort of like his image like he has an image to maintain that he's the angry chef that is going to swear at you when you do something wrong and like if he which is so funny because in this world of yeah in this world of like toxic workplaces and stuff like that i'm surprised that shtick hasn't kind of not saying cancel gordon ramsay because i feel like you know what you're getting into when you sign up for hell's kitchen it's almost like, charming it's for him like the, it's like a yeah. part of his like oh like you know we didn't he didn't yell at you that's weird like that's almost more offensive <laughs> but then when he's kind to people it, it works right because that juxtaposition but like it's um i don't know i haven't watched hell's kitchen in a long ass time but it's this season's young guns and everyone's like in their young tw- like yeah yeah their 20s and stuff like that and i'm having a good time uh dave continue uh continues to be very very good again much like ted lasso i feel like it's getting better as the season goes along um, the last episode, which had a wonderful 
flashback sequence that juxtaposed with the present of of Dave, aka uh, Dave Bird, aka Lil Dicky, um, in his time working at an ad agency. And Eric, this episode gave me PTSD because I mean, I told my whole story about just quitting an ad agency and I never want to go back into marketing ever again. And like just this whole episode being Dave working at the ad agency pitching for Mountain Dew, um, and like just the origins of kind of his rap persona as well as just his self self absorbed kind of um self-doubt in the in the present mixed with how he kind of was working at this ad agency and you know one of his first things doing this rap uh pitch for mountain dew and his work with his his partner at the agency who he, he works with to this day um great episode um and i think that show is is definitely underrated and underwatched but um uh is really 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 good um so it's mostly TV stuff. And then on the movie side, um, I watched a, a, a short film uh, based on the last of us uh, universe called stay. It's available on YouTube. If you guys want to go watch it. Um, it's really good um, for, you know, what we were talking about uh, reviewing snake eyes um, talking about how that kind of looks like a fan film at, at, at times. Um, this definitely at times you can you can tell that okay this isn't going to have the same production value as something like the last of us tv show which we're going to talk about in a couple seconds but um and maybe i'll just use that as a segue but um from a story standpoint and just for someone who probably used their own money to to do a last of us short um i think it's excellent i think using um an actress as ellie at the to bookend um maybe doesn't work quite as well as the original characters that they had in in the short um i feel like maybe you could have just cut out the ellie moments because i think maybe that's the most distracting is that you have an actress playing ellie and um they do a good job at matching her you know outfit and and, and things like that but it still kind of takes you out of it because you know what that character looks and and sounds like even though she doesn't speak in the short film um but it is bookended in an interesting way of of it's about essentially a very short story about a couple who's living in the universe of the last of us um that are trying to survive and get to a ferris wheel um whether it's on coney island or um basically they're they have this photo of this uh ferris wheel that they want to go to so they're traveling across in this you know post-apocalyptic world trying to get to this thing they're in love they're together they're surviving um and ultimately you can kind of see where that is maybe going, but, um, it, it was really well done. Um, again, there are times where you're like, yeah, this is a fan film, but a really good fan film. Um, and it just made me excited to see what the, the HBO series is going to be like. So, um, yeah, definitely go check out stay. Uh, the director's name is, I just want to make sure, uh, Joshua Tunin. Um, and I think it's, a, a really, really solid, like the makeup that they do on some of the, uh, the infected in it, it was way better than I was expecting. And, um, I think he does a, a pretty good job, even if at times you're like, okay, uh, super low budget and, um, and definitely a fan film, but uh, a pretty good one nonetheless. So go check that out on YouTube. Can I uh, mention a couple more things quickly? Just, yeah, please. Uh, there was a couple things that, so I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick with them. So I rewatched, um, sorry, no, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Leave us. I'm talking again. Uh, so I uh, rewatched Blowout, which just celebrated its 40th anniversary. Uh, I think, honestly, probably Brian De Palma's best movie, as much as I love uh, The Untouchables and Scarface and Carrie and Carlito's Way. Um, 
you know, like he's he is in a lot of ways a very underrated filmmaker. And, you know, obviously, you know, his successor being someone like Quentin Tarantino and all being derived from Alfred Hitchcock or being the R rated version of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, but watching Blowout again, I mean, it's always been a great movie, but watching it this time around and, and just thinking about, you know, how, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock esque plot of recording the sounds of a you know murder happening and then sort of the conspiracy theory elements sort of playing out works so well and travolta as much as i like him in pulp fiction i think that this is also his best film as an actor he's very subtle um and it's just it's you kind of think of like, okay, we've been praising Nick Cage for, for pig and doing something different, you know, or, or something that he doesn't really do a whole lot of Travolta in blowout has never given that kind of performance again. Like it, it it just almost feels like that. And I think I've talked about this before, but this Travolta in blowout almost feels like he was like a pod person or like was captured and then replaced by kind of the cartoonish Travolta we know now. Right. Um, it's just one of those performances where it's like, I wish he was given more of those types roles. of roles, yeah. you know, and, and it's just a great movie. It's a great 4th of July film. Um, yeah, it, I know it was on your list. I made your list. Remember we were talking yeah. about. And you, you have it on, on Criterion oh, Blu-ray. Criterion. So, I still haven't watched so it. I no excuses, um, Matt. 40th anniversary. You'll love it too. Like it's like, that's why Tarantino cast. Like that's why Tarantino loves John Travolta is because of Blowout. That's yeah. the movie that he like said like you know he wanted Michael Madsen for Pulp Fiction originally, but his second choice was Travolta, and he loved him in that film. So anytime people were like, "Oh, he's a has been," you know, he, he only makes these kind of movies. So it was like, "Well, have you seen Blowout?" And and people watch them. It was like because people didn't watch Blowout when it came out forty years ago. It was yeah, kind of one yeah, of those of like films that has become a cult film as it's grown to be appreciated over time. And it is, I think Brian De Palma's best film and Travolta's movie. So I would highly recommend anybody looking for a great thriller to check that out. And it's the perfect sort of melding of Hitchcock and De Palma's sort of seedier side. Um, another thing that I, I uh, uh, watched that I think you should also watch um you know, we don't have nostalgia and we've talked about this for the early aughts. Um, but I watched uh, a documentary called Woodstock 99, which is now available on HBO Max in the US and uh, Crave in Canada. And it's about uh, Woodstock 99 and sort of the the build up to it and everything that went wrong uh, with that concert. And so it's a three day sort of event concert where it had sort of bands like Limp Bizkit, DMX, <laughs> The Offspring, um all all the all the uh early 2000 offenders basically that would kind of be you know um popular in our time when we would go into high school even you know like all those kind of like uh creed um they interview uh scott stape of uh, the lead singer of creed uh, yeah. um and what it is it's not necessarily sort of innovative in any way it's 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 a fairly traditionally made documentary but what it does is it shows you everything that the original woodstock was and what the you know the 94 and more to the point 99 versions of woodstock you know weren't or, or should have been and, and everything going wrong you know being uh it, it basically plays almost like a a, a proto fire fest uh, okay. in a lot of ways in that you know uh they <clears throat> They had it on an army base. They didn't have enough water. Um, 
they had horrible sort of um uh, plumbing so like the showers were disgusting the porta potties all overflowed and it was all muddy and gross and smelt like shit all the time um i should watch this yeah you you had people like fred durst sort of <laughs> baiting the crowd into getting as riled up as possible um a lot of people i mean like we joked about like you know uh nicholas Mm -hmm. braun and zola looking like an oshawa guy everybody in this movie looks like they're from oshawa it's a sea of white people a sea of fraternity white bro guys and it's even more offensive is that what woodstock always was no no No. woodstock was hippies it was all it was it was all counterculture but that's what i mean 99 was was there them trying to be like was a commercial Uh, venture and it was being promoted by baby boomers who were a part of of woodstock but woodstock was but they 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 sold out you know man and (laughs) they became part of the system because that's what i thought i'm like woodstock was always yeah more of a hippie thing right yeah but it but it also does a really good job of kind of tracking like you know a lot of people were kind of taken aback by you know the white male rage of the trump era and sort of not seeing it you see it in this documentary of like you know after the grunge movement kind of petered out and kurt cobain died you saw kind of like introspective you know young white guys that were kind of trying to do something different kind of become angry people and 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 like fred durst kind of riles up the crowd the guy who kind of is the main programmer of the festival is a piece of garbage um you have dmx who is is one of the better performers at this this festival but he he you know one of his songs he drops you know some racial slurs and the crowd which again is a sea of white people is singing it back to him so they're 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 dropping the end bomb. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. then you have you know this three days of of all these bands a lot of again like metal rock stuff and and like a lot of garbage um garbage the band was not there um but then like you look at the programming there's only three female acts and they're all solo artists so cheryl crow alanis morissette um and jewel are are the three (laughs) that's yeah and and i felt so bad because jewel's actually one of the people that they interview as well and jewel was talking about like she was she was the last so and each one of them were programmed on one of the days so it's like all these like male artists again like off maximum one woman per day yeah buck cherry all these like bro bands that like now their songs are basically playing on strip clubs and things like that um and so like jewel comes out like she's probably one of the last artists to play um on on the third day and jewel's music is like alanis morissette like some of her stuff like you can really get into it like in terms of like just like yeah head banging kind of stuff where jewel is not <laughs> at all <laughs> and it's just like like jewel almost kind of would be better suited for you know 69's woodstock yeah um, yeah and it's just watching this thing i was like fascinated and also revolted by what i was watching because it's just like again you're like watching like on the stage people throwing shit and mud and and garbage on stage they're creating like these like weird um backstreet boy dolls to like hang up and like light on fire it became like a total hate rally it's just it 
It's yeah, baffling. Sounds, I'm going to watch that. You that do. Sounds, you do. Because yeah. like the people that they interview, some of them are like, again, like the, the, I can't remember the name of the, the main programmer, but he is such an asshole because it also talks about like, there was a lot of women taking off their tops and things like that, but there's a lot of groping and sexual misconduct and sexual right. assault. And like, it also kind of goes into um, the girls gone wild videos and things like that. And how weird God, the early 2000s, yeah. like, even though it's 99, like it, it, it kind of well that, that, into the yes of course that right? was the origins of a lot of that stuff right yeah. coming out of the 90s and, and yeah fred that. durst is a total asshole and oh, yeah. and um you know like filmmaker fred durst yes uh moby's in the documentary and like again like another weird choice to have him playing at this festival and then it kind of looks at like <laughs> okay there's no excuse for how this festival turned out because coachella started that same year and coachella is still kind of uh like a very chill well-organized well put together festival that is uh you know inclusive you know and mm-hmm. and like yeah. again like this is just a shitstorm. but it also was weirdly nostalgic and thinking back like i'm glad i was not one of those people and also oh, yeah. like i i also am happy that i did not like any of that music in the early 2000s uh, unfortunately i did <laughs> unfortunately you, I did. you would watch this and you'd be like oh my god this is like why back did i i mean yeah. to be fair i was 10 to 13 years right. old and like, a lot of the guys are like some of the people that are interviewed are young guys that are like you yeah know, i was a complete dick or asshole and, yeah and, like you're you know that you were and you can yeah. admit that i mean i don't think i ever i mean i did some you know nothing horrible but shitty stuff as a teenager and a lot of the like guys a, that are like, interviewed in this didn't do anything yeah. you know like they didn't commit any sexual no but you like the like that, yeah but, of course yeah, yeah but yeah, it does but, get into that and like you see like you know women with their shirts off and then like guys like just like mosh pits, that like don't guys know them yeah. just like yeah and yeah just like, like how? that's gross and yeah. security didn't give a shit like they just like yeah. literally you know took the badge and just it's so hard at those i'm not saying that i mean you should anyone who does that stuff at a music festival should be thrown out uh, of course but like it's almost when you get something so massive like that like you saw it at sars stock here in toronto too when throwing water bottles at justin timberlake at at justin timberlake and yeah but but literally the mud like the porta potties overflow and it all goes into the mud and people are just covered in shit (laughs) and it's so gross i highly recommend watching yeah i'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch you it. will really like it maybe I, i'll throw it on after this yeah and, and there are some really good people like uh, uh dave holmes who was uh part of the like he was i mean he wasn't as well known as um carson daly but um he's a very likable um vj and he kind of talks about like his experiences being there and just like how ludicrous it was then and like how dangerous it got for the yeah. vjs because exactly. they were being Imagine. attacked and like it, it almost um like one person compares it to like being like a a, a refugee camp or something like Jesus that like Christ. that's how bad yeah. it got like it truly yeah. is like i know a lot of people laughed at the uh fire fest and things like that but this truly does feel like a a, a precursor like it, to it yeah i don't doubt it for a second and then the last um, thing i watch quickly um that i'll just i'll quickly say try guys yeah. are doing without a recipe for the summer or should yeah. i say savor the summer as keith would say and it's uh it's really good I is it I've, i'm halfway yeah. through it because it's like a 45 minute episode it's uh which one are you uh, on donuts nice. i'm on donuts yeah, yeah. is there more than one episode <laughs> oh yeah there... so they did so that's the third episode oh so, shit i so need to they, go back and watch them um, they did muffins and donuts. Oh yeah, I'm on the donut. Oh episode, no, muffins yeah. and um, there's something else because the last one is and they're uh, bringing in different cake. guests and stuff, yeah. right? Which yeah. I, which I like. Like I think that's shout out to them because 
they've realized, hey, it shouldn't just be us four doing all of this stuff. And they're trying to branch out and do their own uh, thing as well as bring in guests to kind of do some of their content with them, which I Yeah, like. and they also have one of the Try Guys uh, be a judge on each episode. So that's why they kind of rotate. Yeah. So like um, for the donut ones, Keith was one Keith of the judges. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, but it all all of the episodes so far have been Oh, they're blast. great. They're but fun, I, yeah. I actually really liked Eugene in this and I don't normally love his stuff but i actually i think eugene's gotten after you know he had his big coming out video obviously and like i feel like he's more again i like him much more now that they're on their own when they were with buzzfeed like right and i i think you know i still think ned is kind of um maybe boring a little bit but like um and keith is hilarious but like i mean i like all four of those guys well even like the idea that zach is trying to get like um you know justin bieber and who's again i'm an old man now um uh, olivia rodrigo she, rodrigo yeah. to follow him on on instagram oh, yeah. <laughs> because she follows both uh eugene and ned but not keith and, and zach so he's That's creating funny. like hashtag versions of like justin bieber and olivia rodrigo yeah. like uh dishes so they'll just follow him <laughs> that's really really funny um zach has a great uh movie podcast as well uh that covers guilty pleasures i think it's called guilty pleasures right i don't know uh, I've, I've never listened to yeah, it but yeah. I'm, I'm actually now kind of um, curious but i, I think love they interviewed Eugene... the fast and furious um uh crew because they're all obsessed with that movie too but so. i love that eugene in in the donuts episode made uh boobays, boobays. yeah is, <laughs> and i just uh, wanted Bo- like Boba it to be sponsored by uh, yeah. uh michael boobay <laughs> yeah it's really good yeah i love the try guys their doc is actually entertaining as well that covers their live show and their tour um i bought it on itunes and watched it a little while back it's pretty entertaining yeah but uh, it's, yeah, those it, guys it, those, those episodes are a lot of fun but even all of their without a recipe episodes are are, are great yeah and they they got they signed on to food network to bring without a recipe as a uh as a cable show on food network which i think <laughs> which is, is really amazing yeah and keith good for them kills yeah. me he just oh, like keith is great yeah just his facial expressions and reactions to things like well that's why you can watch a 45 minute eat the menu episode right like because he's just such a uh he's just so much fun to watch and i mean all four of them are great i think they all bring their own uh, they're also distinctly different that um, I think that's why they ultimately all work. And it's great that they're bringing more people in and and kind of do other stuff. I love the try guys. Yeah, uh, they're a blast. And, you know, I watch a ton of YouTube. Obviously, we talk about Rhett and Link, Good Mythical Morning, still great as well. And like, um, obviously, the kind of funny people who have been so generous and, and kind to us as well. So um, some great stuff on YouTube. Um, I watch more YouTube than I do, you know, movies and TV now. So that's, but that's, why a, I, that's what a lot of people do. I mean, like, that's kind yeah. of, it feels like that's the norm. Like most oh, yeah. stuff is sort of like watching it without a recipe episode is almost like watching an epic because it's oh, yeah. 45 minutes right? Yeah. where like a normal YouTube video is usually two to three minutes or, or less. Yeah. Yeah, 10 minutes usually or something like that. But um, And I watch a lot of my podcasts on YouTube too, just it keeps me engaged. Although I've been moving back to audio only as I'm lying in bed and stuff just so I can – because sometimes I like to fall asleep to it now, which I know you do too, Eric. And, yep. um, uh, But when I have YouTube on, I feel like I stay up. So it will be like 3 in the morning and I listen to a two-hour podcast, which did not help me sleep. It just helped me like 
watch the whole thing because I was watching the TV. So, well, do you um, now, do you do that with a lot of stuff that you have previously listened to or watched, or is it a, your first time? Because usually, when I fall asleep to a podcast, it's usually something I've already listened to before. Because no, if I, I if don't it, re-listen to podcasts really at all. Like I, um, I my sister does that. She uh, loves my favorite murder and weirdly falls asleep to that a lot <laughs> and like um and she re-listens to podcasts with like even like i, I mean i've been very I, I listen to so much kind of funny but there's always so much out there that i like in a lot again i rewatch movies and stuff like that too but um podcasts aren't one that i really go back to unless it's maybe something like a in review for kind of funny and it's you know an mcu one that i haven't listened to like in a really long time but even then i don't really so i it's usually first listens and then uh, but i'm pretty good about i have my headphone in and uh, i'll do like one ear on my airpod uh, so i can lie on my side because if i have my headphones and i can't lie on the one ear um and I'll just like, once I like start nodding in and out of consciousness, I go, okay, I got to take my earbud out and then I go to sleep. But, um, either way, uh, you know, a lot of great content, hashtag content, Eric out there. That's not Daddy made TV. You some content. Um, circling back quickly, we'll do rapid fire news. Like we did at the end of the Kevin and re episode. Um, I still love that. You're, I'm just looking at your frozen image. I'm sorry. If <laughs> I re okay. I don't, I just don't want to fuck everything up by re refreshing. You should so. get a still of it. Um, <laughs> I should take a screenshot of it. Like, I almost feel like this should now be like, you know, when you hear or you see like uh, news reporters from, you know, in, in like a war torn country or something like that. And it's just like their photo and their voice, like on the phone and inter being, I'll take a screenshot. It's, it's pretty tiny on my end, but um, I'll take a screenshot. It's of so it good. So I, can, <laughs> so I can have it for the future. <laughs> so stupid. It's just amazing. Um, Cause I just want that to be like, it's like war correspondent. Matt Rohrbeck is, yeah. is letting us know what's going on right now in, in Tunisia or something like that. And you just like, yeah. and it's just like, that's the, <laughs> it's frozen. Yeah. So that way people can have context. I'll tweet this out with it. Um, a few bits of last of us news. Um, we were just talking about last of us. So, uh, the last of us HBO series has cast, uh, Anna Torv, um, not as to be confused Ke- with Carrie Coon. No. Um, they do look kind of similar. Well, that was the, that, that was the running joke for a long time yeah. is that Carrie Coon would often get mistaken for her and vice versa. And that they made kind of like they were joking about it on social media at one point. Oh, that's funny. I want Carrie Coon to be in Last of Us. But I like Anna Torv too. I mean, I was um I, I really liked Fringe when it was on. Um The Poor and, Man's Lost. Yeah, really. Or and then Peaks, uh, I guess, a little she or was X-Files. also yeah she was also on Mindhunter as well. Um Tess, uh, a really interesting small small role in the in the first last of us game uh but very uh integral or integral to uh joel and ellie's uh story um so um love seeing her uh in this i think it's great casting um also we kind of missed some other casting in, in recent weeks uh we got i think we talked about nico parlor uh, parker playing joel's daughter sarah um, and we talked a little bit about Merle, Merle Dandridge playing Marlene, who she also played in the games. So that's kind of cool. Like she played Marlene in the games and she's playing Marlene 
on the show. So they're bringing um, a lot of voice actors back to either play the roles that yeah, they voiced or other or characters. Some, so that's a great point, Eric. Jeffrey Pierce, who played Tommy, uh, Joel's brother in the games, is going to be in the series, but as a rebel named Perry. So he's playing a... <laughs> different oh, no, just, character he went from tommy to perry yeah and and obviously uh gabriel luna is playing tommy um in the show so it is but cool that they're the tommy bringing... that's in snake eyes no no <laughs> um getting convoluted and then we also have uh murray bartlett playing frank and con o'neill playing bill um who are two survivalists uh living in a isolated town um, which I don't know if it's a spoiler, but I believe that they're lovers in 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 the game. So I'm sure they're playing partners in this uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I mean, it's interesting to see them bring in people like Jeffrey Pierce and um, Merle Dandridge, who had roles in the game and now being in the show. Obviously, uh, Neil Druckmann, who is the you know co-creator of the game and the and the director, um, is brought in to co-write the scripts as well. Um, so. They're bringing in a lot of the people, obviously, PlayStation Studios, Naughty Dog heavily involved. It's something we talked about that it seems like they have all the right, you know, people working on this. And then the other piece of news that we can kind of lump in is that it it looks like it's going to be one of the most expensive TV shows ever made. So there is reports out there that per episode, it's going to exceed the eight figure per episode mark. Um and it's going to cost more than the last season of Game of Thrones, Ooh. which cost a lot. So it's going to be more than $10 million per episode. Now, what uh, do you think that its... goes towards? Do you think that goes towards a lot of that two post-production? Or is that something where it's like they have to build all I think the sets from yeah. scratch? I think it's going to be a lot of the actual production design because I think it being a post-apocalyptic um you know setting and they're they're in calgary and probably have to shut down a lot of streets i'm sure they'll do a lot in a studio as well i don't know what studios are out in calgary but i know a lot of it is going to be probably just having to you know do all this work to make these streets and probably post-production as well too to make it like overgrown and you know uh, like I saw some of the shooting they're doing on actual streets in Calgary and they have some blue screen as well. But um, I think just doing a post-apocalyptic setting and doing it right is going to cost a lot of money. Right. And that's just, it's exciting to hear. Right. Because, you know, one thing HBO has is like their shows never really look cheap. I would say like they do invest. I mean, game of Thrones, as much as you, whatever you want to say about those last couple seasons, like, they put a lot of money into that show and it showed when it came from production design and the sets and, and everything. So like, that's really exciting to hear that they, they seem like they're very confident that this will be huge for them because if you're spending a hundred million dollars in your first season, um, you're Especially pretty for a confident. video game adaptation, right? Like, right. Think that that yeah. would be something that, you know, any Skeptical studio about. would be concerned about uh, spending that kind of money. And and to your point, like HBO, like, you know, the, the other show that came before um, Game of Thrones, where it was kind of, you know, based more in reality than Game of Thrones was, was Rome. And even though Rome was only two seasons, the reason why they had to shut down is because partly they had, um, you know, their sets burnt down, but they couldn't afford 
to cover the cost of that movie or that show because it, it costs so much to produce well, that's what just I'm worried. one that's, episode. And that's maybe a worry about this, right? Like you hope it's successful because if it's not, $100 million is a lot of money, right? It's so, the dune of uh, HBO. Um, right. And I think the only... Th- people spending more money per episode right now is Disney plus on the Marvel shows, right? Like, aren't they doing like 25 million an episode or something like that? Or Probably. But I mean, I Disney forget. has, I mean, HBO has Warner brothers, but, but Disney has very deep pockets where this does feel more like a gamble, even though like, I, like I see this being successful anyways, even if it, if, even if it wasn't good quality wise, because the game has such a fan base where something like Dune is such a cult sort of series. It it just kind of feels like they'll be okay, but it does show that they do have confidence in the material to invest that much money on a show that has really one kind of main actor that's known and Mm -hmm. working with a lot of European uh, filmmakers and things like that. So it, it, it does bode well for the series and and what they're going to be doing um but it is also just interesting when you look at like the history of television like there was a time where things like battlestar galactica the original series in, in the late 70s you know had to shut down production because even though it was popular it was costing you know i think it was nbc um you know like an astronomical amount yeah and that wasn't like and the other show to do that that was successful that was able to keep doing that was Miami Vice. Miami Vice, like you know, back in in when it started in the mid eighties, you know, an episode of Miami Vice was being made for one to two million dollars an episode, and that was unheard yeah. of back then. And now, like, it's become the norm where you know television has as much of a budget as a feature, uh, a studio feature, and and so um, yeah, I mean that's that's going to be very interesting. To, to see, see where that kind of yeah. goes. Cause again, like, uh, you know, you mentioned sort of, or we talked about building stuff from scratch, but also you have to think about like, okay. Um, you know, the monster designs and things like that. And, and yeah, I hope they use practical effects too. That could be really kind of cool. Maybe that's where some of the budget's going to, um, like, uh, because it's this like fungus that's growing on actual humans. You'd think it would be sort of like, um, other zombie things where you have actual people under makeup instead of creating CG monsters. And I'm sure at times there are different variations on the infected in the last of us that you might use more CG or something like that. But, um, I really, uh, really hope they lean hard into practical effects for this. And, um, yeah, just with everyone involved, like you mentioned the filmmakers that they have involved and everything that like, um, it seems super, super promising. Like I don't want to get my expectations too too high but um i with the money that they're throwing into this the casting the directors that they're attaching to it having people from the game actually involved in it um is so important i think because i think when you remove those people you you kind of i'm all for different interpretations of things but when something has worked having the people who are so close to it and are the people who came up with what worked originally um, I think is super smart. And um, again, I, I it, lo- it seems to be a one for one retelling of that original game. I'm, I'm so curious to see how, uh, where the, how much of that first game, that first season covers as or well where it as branches off. Yeah. Where it branches off and what's different. Right. So 
I think that's going to be, it's going to be so much fun when that comes out because we'll have different perspectives of it, right? Like you, you coming from, you know, the film focused background, being very familiar with these directors and, and things like that. And me being so familiar with the game, I think we're going to have a really good conversation about it on a week to week basis. So, Well, also yeah. the idea of sort of a lot of film in recent memory sort of taking from the yeah. last of us and sort of you know i mean we mentioned it with the quiet place too uh it comes at night, comes at night. Um, um even a little bit in um obviously uh love and monsters recently as yeah. well so um, it'll be that dialogue will also be interesting to sort of have that conversation where like you know a lot of this film in recent years genre stuff specifically has been taking influence and then seeing sort of uh you know the the godfather of it all, so to speak, and, and seeing how that plays out will be, will be interesting. And it's something like uh, I experienced recently with Invincible, with you watching Invincible and my mom watching Invincible. And I've talked about this before, so I'm kind of repeating myself, but I'm so excited to share this game that is so special to me with people who don't play video games. Right. Right. And in, in a medium that, you know, film and television content, whatever you want to ha- the hell to call it, the lines are being blurred, right? With the filmmakers that they're bringing in and everything. Like, we're just getting a 10-hour movie version of this, essentially, um, on HBO, home box office. And, like, so, like, I, I don't know. HBO has been crushing it, obviously, for a- an eternity. And I-, I-, I think it's a perfect home for it. And I, I think thought the it television- stood for home BO. Yeah. Um, and I think the television format is is perfect for this game i don't think it really would have worked in a movie um and i think that's why that never kind of came to fruition so um i'm so pumped uh it looks like it's going to premiere next year i know the director who's directing the pilot um uh god i can't pronounce his name but kamir is it kamir something uh the guy who directed uh last of us directors Oh, no, it's just directors revealed for HBO. Oh, you're talking about Beanpole director, right? Yeah, the Beanpole director. Uh, Kantemir Balagov. Yes, uh, he Russian filmmaker. Uh, he had on his Instagram page that uh, said 2022 for Last of Us in his project. So I think – I don't know when they'll premiere this. I'm, I'm going to guess October of next year is probably the earliest we get this. Yeah, it um, would work for like – Maybe like summer. Like, or something like that. I know they said they're shooting July to July, like a whole year, right? right? So I don't know whether you have a couple episodes in the can that you premiere, you know, earlier. Um, I think they'd want to wait, though. I think they'd want to wait until they're done so that they can, you know, do the week by week consistency thing where it's like mm-hmm. you don't want to, you know, release a couple of episodes and then, you know, have, have a be long working, period yeah. of like nothing because it kind of, you know, it things kind of run cool right like it's almost like about keeping things as consistent as possible in sort of uh the media and mindset like if you release something one week and then it you know disappears for for months on end or a year um you know it's not in the consciousness anymore right and then there's always something else that will replace it i mean that's we've talked about this with netflix stuff where it's like you know netflix doing the fear street thing was to try to keep sort of this dialogue open with this franchise and you know a lot of their stuff is very disposable when it comes to being you know it's released on a a friday or a wednesday and then it's talked about on the weekend and then it's forgotten about a month from now and then there's something else you know and that's kind of what you know 
probably HBO doesn't want with this. They want people to kind of be addicted to it in the same way that they were with the Sopranos or with Game of Thrones, where, you know, or even now with like a lot of the Disney plus stuff where people are just like hanging on the edge of their seats, waiting for the next week to come and see what's going to happen next with these characters and especially within mm-hmm. that field. And it will also just be interesting to see if this is successful, if it will get a sort of, you know, a, a stream of video game adaptations. I know we're, we're, you know, we're at that point where uncharted is also coming up and things like that, but it feels like if this is successful, this will be maybe the beginning of a renaissance for video game Good video. Well, you hope, you pray that this is the first truly great Well, that's what I mean. If, it, if it's right? critically acclaimed and it does well, like you could see, even if they don't get greenlit, you could see a lot of studios going to, you know, Nintendo or Sony. We're getting that Super Mario Brothers movie next year too. Right. So you could see even more of that happening where... I think Zelda has got to be one that you I know they tried with that Netflix series. Um, well, even trying to do like Metal Gear Solid again. Or oh, yeah. Something which like that, yeah. Right? Which like, I've been. Uh, yeah, that is exempt. Seeing stuff in Dune that reminded me of Metal Metal Gear. And like that's that is a very cinematic game already that could be easily i mean it's convoluted as hell but like it's uh it's cinematic enough because you know hideo kojima already made the games almost like playable movies that i feel like i know jordan voigt roberts has been trying to make that for a while but um being a huge fan of the game and i know that they cast oscar isaac right but yeah you know he keeps getting cast in everything so i don't know when that will actually come through uh Voight Roberts keeps sharing like concept art and stuff like that from that. But I do want that movie to be made too. Cause I think there are great video game stories out there and who knows if the illumination super Mario brothers movie will be any good. But, um, I think something I even said in Ryan, the last dragon, our review, it was like reminded me of Zelda. And I feel like Zelda could be a really, I think that'll probably be the next thing illumination does after Mario. Like I feel like Zelda could be an ongoing franchise and maybe illumination's not the right studio if they make more comedy kids movies but like um but maybe you know i, I could see them doing zelda as well so yeah there's so much out there well, that even halo right like that has well always... that was what they're still doing that showtime series aren't they or it moved i have to... no idea i mean like but look at the iterations of that show like i feel like if last of us is successful that will almost put that into sort of like fast track fast track and they'll they'll try to get that made as as quickly as possible because yeah the last time i heard it was going to be a series but then you look at like when people like neil blomkamp you know was a part of it or peter jackson you know working with josh it's it's announced for paramount plus now right and but i almost feel like pablo schreiber is the lead in it oh okay yeah yeah. Uh, leah schreiber's uh brother he's yeah a ton of stuff like um he was in den of thieves and things like that um in uh 13 hours and that's supposed to premiere next year early 2022 as well that's probably coming out before the last of us but has that even got has that gone into production yeah okay yeah because that's Um, interesting because i didn't think it was even in production yet uh let me look on february 
2021. The series was moved from Showtime to Paramount+. Plus. On June 25th, it was reported that both Kane and Killian would be exiting as showrunners following the completion of season one. Killian had left prior to the start of production due to him feeling like he wasn't able to fulfill the duties of showrunner, with Kane taking the reins as lead showrunner until post-production work had been completed. However, should the show get picked up for a second season, Kane would not return. I don't know if that's probably not a good sign, but some people are one and done, obviously. Like, um, and then filming. Uh, principal photography commenced October 2019. In 2019, the series spent over $40 million on production. The five filmed episodes were re-edited under the coronavirus shutdown with production of the sixth episode and reshoots planned in Ontario, Canada. So it must have been shot in Toronto or not rupert wyatt was going to be the director of the first episode uh wyatt stepped down as ep due to scheduling conflicts he was p- replaced by Otto bathurst um i wonder if they shot in bathurst or no. bathurst street <laughs> so yeah it looks like this is coming out before which what, what that also still might depend on the last of us in terms of getting a second season like say yeah. you know uh halo does okay but look at that halo's history of getting adapted remember spielberg was gonna he's producing this or executive producing yeah but but yeah one so like peter jackson was gonna direct this with josh olsen who wrote a draft of the script which josh olsen wrote um or adapted a history of violence uh neil blomkamp seemed like he was probably the perfect fit at one point and that didn't happen and like even hearing everything you just described like this film or series history has been sort of just has all the misfortune and, and problems with that. Like it, it almost seems like it's going to be a like, you know, dead on arrival. Yeah. I hope not. I mean, I'm not a huge halo guy. Like I like it enough, but I don't know if there's enough there to make it unique. And then you have the new resident evil too, which is kind of a reboot, right? With welcome to raccoon city, which sounds sort of promising, but not really like, uh, I, I want it to be good and I want it to be more faithful to the from the director game. of 47 meters down Johan yeah. Roberts, you know, you yeah. think like, okay, th- there might be a kind of fun trashiness to it and it has to be better than the Paul W.S. Anderson version because it looks like it actually is a, a more straightforward adaptation or at least like that was the one thing that I, I never, cause again, I don't play the, the games, but like the Mila Jovovich character, was never a video game character like alice never was a part no. of uh, no. the video game lore and it was and like those like games have nothing yeah ali larder in. was yeah. the, the main character in the in the video games and even then they f- went so far from what those games actually were that like i mean yes and no i mean you brought in nemesis you brought in like certain things they still had a, umbrella was like, still a part of it right yeah umbrella is still a huge part of it but like uh it 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 already took such a different stance to the the material which most video game movies did that like it was so hard to get back on track but they made like 11 of those or yeah. seven right and kim coates um, is in a bunch of them too <laughs> yeah should we watch them before this new one comes out um a kim coates marathon <laughs> i don't think i can but like, i watched um, the first one recently i think i talked about it on not because didn't it come episode. out on 4k or something yeah uh, not the last episode but maybe the episode before and um talk you know us talking about snake eyes being a tough watch for like like almost like back to the early 2000s so they made six of them okay yeah and and the only one i remember distinctly besides the 
first one and the laser grid sequence is the third one. And the only reason I remember the third one is because it's directed by Russell McCulley, who directed Highlander, um, and that it was t- it took place in the desert. All of them I have seen, but they blend together. I can't tell you anything really about them other than like, yeah, I, I know who Nemesis is. And I know that like they shot a sequence in like near the parliament in Toronto and yeah. things like that. But I, I couldn't tell you like narratively what happens <laughs> from one to another, but like watching early two thousands action movies. I mean, this has an action horror riff. Um, it's tough. It does not date well. And um, the, the special effects are terrible, but the narrative itself, it's just, it, it's, they don't know the kind of movie they're making. Oh yeah. Wentworth Miller plays Chris Redfield. And then um, Robbie Amell is playing him in the new, uh, in the new one, but like, yeah, it's going to have nothing to do. Like even on Alice's Wikipedia page, it's like um, Alice is a fictional character from the main protagonist of the resident evil film series, which is loosely based on the video game series of the same name. So she does interact with a lot of the video game characters that they brought in later in the series, like you were saying, but um but you remember that like resident evil was successful enough to not only generate this franchise but like you had yui bowl doing what was it um was it house of the dead the 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 first person shooter game that you would always see at like movie theaters and stuff he did so many bad video game adaptations yeah i I know like Like, he did like like postal and like yeah um, um, in the name of the king or or whatever it was called with jason statham uh and burt reynolds i think was in one of them but um but there was the one like that was like house of the dead alone in the dark was another one with christian slater which is god awful um but i always remember the first person shooter game just being like why far he did a far cry movie um which uh with till schwager Schwager. please Uh, yeah um so you think that far cry would be kind of like would have been a big deal right like yeah it was kind of popular enough of a video game and it um, that movie i think got barely any release yeah alone in the dark but i'm thinking um, house of the dead or, or yeah house he did house of the dead yeah, yeah. house of the dead it's so um, bad god <laughs> Uwe Boll, man. and i think this... he's part of it though like that's part of the re- like i'm not saying that every video game adds a narrative but you know for for every studio film that failed whether it be you know hitman or max Payne or something like that you also had yui bowl releasing you know a ton of these movies and all of them yeah. being released like in who January kept giving them rights to this blood shit. rain remember yeah. blood rain oh my god, god. <laughs> he's the worst uh just the worst yeah in the name of the king goodness gracious um Moving on from video games, we'll go quick hit. Uh, Ari Aster's Disappointment Boulevard added a bunch of people to its cast this week. We have Parker Posey, uh, Michael Gandolfini, Zoe Lister-Jones, um, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, uh, Denis Menoche, Menoche, is it? Um, yeah, Denny Menoche. Yeah, Haley Squires uh, also joining, obviously, um, Joaquin Phoenix uh, and more um what do you think about the additions there i'm pumped for this i have no idea what it's about yeah i mean what what's most interesting about um, nathan lane's in it (laughs) um about the supporting cast is a lot of them are theater actors which is kind of interesting um and then someone like denny menesha um you you know obviously a lot of people know him from the opening scene of inglorious bastards um but he's also really wonderful in this 
divorce drama called Custody. Um, so it's always nice seeing him pop up and stuff. I think he's always really good. Um, is this a horror movie or no? I don't know because a lot of people thought it was going to be a adaptation of a short that he did, which is, I can't remember the name of it, but he, so Ari Aster did an in conversation at Criterion with the Safdie brothers, uh not too long ago i think it was around the time that in uncut gems was being released and they were both talking about martin scorsese movies and it, and i think their conversations are on the scorsese shorts collection um and after midsummer you know people are always ask the question what are you going to do next and the two films that he kept talking about were a like classic period piece kind of movie like a melodrama that wasn't what you'd expect it to be like not a a horror film from him or something like that and then one was going to be a four hour horror comedy that he wanted to make and um is that this (laughs) i don't know i mean that's a very good question matt um but i'm just looking i want to look up the name of the the short because i watched it not too long ago yeah um I think it's like Bo is afraid. Yeah. Bo is afraid. That's okay. And so, or, or it's just called Bo, but originally like the, 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 the full version of the feature was going to be Bo is afraid. Now, I don't know if it is still the same film with a different title, but in Bo is afraid, you have a guy who's having a conversation and slash nervous breakdown uh, on the phone with his mother who ends up being like a plant person. Um, So (laughs) I don't know if that is going to be, his four hour horror comedy yeah but apparently it is centered on a, a entrepreneur but also on a father or a, a mother son oh yeah story. okay and like there was rumors at one point meryl streep was going to be interested in or going to be in it or was interested yeah. in it but i think he went with um patty lapone or something yeah. like that for, yeah. for the mother role but um yeah i mean obviously it's 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 going to be probably dark and twisted and you know it's nice to see him continuing with uh with a24 and mm-hmm. um and then you know, teaming with someone like joaquin is, is yeah and that'll exciting. be interesting as well because you look at both hereditary and midsummer uh his features and they they've been both very sort of female centric in sort of their stories like the, you know the protagonist being you know two oh, well, women yeah. dealing yeah. with grief and and loss and so now you're dealing with a male protagonist and an actor who's known to be sort of unorthodox in his style of acting um have you watched the director's cut of midsummer yet no i haven't i dude his movies love him love both he's of them, the evil wes anderson but, i mean like yeah. a lot of people have said that but like his design is so specific yeah. and in tune and like you feel like every frame has been completely designed by him and to kind of just throw the actors and the rest of the crew you know into the scenes that he's yeah. created it's almost like this weird like you know escape room almost. totally and i i just i haven't had the courage to like rewatch either of those movies but they like, drain I just, you like, they they're great they really films, do but yeah. they are emotionally and physically draining like yeah. i think hereditary i like hereditary more than midsummer but i like both a lot oh and, yeah like I just feel with Hereditary, like even though Hereditary was something he wrote after Midsummer, Midsummer was the movie he wanted to make first. Um, 
Hereditary was the film that I just was not expecting and and what it became and what it is. And then Midsummer, it's kind of like you kind of have an idea of, okay, he's doing another horror movie. Um, but the caveat being it takes place during the day. So you're you're as fearful during the day as you would be at night. Um and also being a riff on on The Wicker Man. And some people were, you know, a fair criticism saying that Hereditary does take a lot from Ben Wheatley's Kill List, which it, it does in terms of that slow burn. But um, with this, yeah, I mean, just kind of going in, knowing that Ari Aster's made two kind of, you know, mind fuck movies. Mm-hmm. And now that this, whether this is a four hour long film or not, or, or whether this is a, an adaptation of Bo, I I don't know. I, I'm just yeah. excited for it. I'm always excited when you hear, okay, you know, the Safdie brothers are making a new movie or yeah, Ari yeah. Aster's making a new movie or Robert Eggers, you, you know, the guys that came out of A24 and, and even if they're still with A24 or even if they're not with them anymore, it's always excited to hear that, you know, this new generation of filmmakers yeah. is are getting more work and they're doing more stuff. Like it's not just a one and done kind of thing because like a lot of those guys – they didn't move on to Marvel or, or like, yeah, but it would be hard for them to like, I know. like even after good time, like something like that, like if it wasn't for a 24, they wouldn't have gotten uncut gems made. And I feel like, you know, you look at a lot of those guys careers before that, if they even had careers before that, um, you know, they struggled, you know, like yeah. the Safties struggled with, you know, heaven can wait and things like that. And, and yeah. So no, I'm 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 all in. I can't wait. So looking forward to it. Uh, quickly, Jordan Peele's next movie was revealed. It is called Nope. Uh, he dropped a tr- uh, a poster on uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, which features a cloud uh, with a sort of almost looks like a kite um, string hanging from it, as well as a town in this middle of this kind of mountain as well as open green field um and it just says a new terror from the mind of academy award winner jordan peele uh stars daniel kaluuya uh kiki palmer and steven yun uh being released in july uh of next year and select sequences filmed with imax cameras which is awesome to see as well uh so don't know much about it other than that uh any theory eric based on the poster do you think like i get like almost well it's not a benjamin franklin uh yeah story. sure daniel kaluuya is daniel uh benjamin franklin <laughs> yeah uh aliens maybe some people are theorizing but well, like it, i don't I know i mean the poster I, I saw somebody put the poster up against like the fright night poster and it does have like that kind of like small town being invaded by something yeah you know kind of quality but another cast member that's not in that's not one of the the main three uh and 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 uh, you know jordan peele's bringing the can con um an actor that was very um ubiquitous in the 90s uh, as always playing the villain uh is michael wincott okay michael wincott um if you don't know who that is a lot of people who our age should um he was the main villain in the crow um he played the the ship's captain in uh alien resurrection uh he's been in movies from you know uh jim jarmusch and julian schnabel um has a very distinct uh voice a very kind of raspy but also soothing voice um 
and he's uh, Scarborough born um, and and uh, a Scarborough uh, kid. And so it's exciting to see him again. The last thing I saw him in, he has a very small role in the Scarlett Johansson live action adaptation of uh, Ghost in the Shell. Okay. But chances yeah. are you've seen him in something. Like he's one of those guys that in like in the 90s into the early 2000s, he was kind of ubiquitous and always playing kind of a villain, um, but also kind of weirdly had like this very unique kind of voice so i'm excited that he's in the movie as well nice yeah i uh i have no idea what it could possibly be about but i'm excited nonetheless uh i mean even if i was a little bit mixed on uh peel's last movie um i i still no matter what he's doing i'm gonna be super jacked to see what it is yeah i think we'll probably get a trailer or a teaser probably with Candyman. um also it, universal right well also because he's an executive producer on it right 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 so, right 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 because right. his monkey paw productions is uh is producing that film so um, yeah you think you yeah. get the to- the poster um poster tease now and then you get the trailer with candy man which is in a few weeks right yeah yeah that makes sense probably just a teaser um and it might be one of those things where it's like you have to go to the theater to see it like i could almost see him doing i could see him doing like that especially with the Nolan imax thing, thing too yeah, yeah like uh that excites me actually that's a a tidbit i don't think we knew about until now that he shot some of it with imax cameras so i mean that's the whole production's kind of been under the radar like we knew that he was like it had been announced that he was making another movie that daniel kaluuya and and steven yun and and kiki palmer fresh off of space jam too yeah because steven yun uh replaced jesse plemons because jesse plemons was going to be in the film but scheduling conflicts with uh, uh, the killing of the flower moon uh, made it impossible for him to do both. So um, Stephen Yun stepped into that role, uh, whatever it may be. We don't know what the who the characters are or what they're the actors are playing. But um, it was because like usually you hear like oh this movie's gone into production, but it kind of almost like went like there was like there was no information other than than that. And so like knowing that it's probably well into production by now and maybe even in post um is kind of you know like we don't get that often anymore where we get the like the surprise movie so um, yeah to know that like it's it's on the way and that it's actually done i guess or at least in the process of being finished yeah it says it was uh it shot in june so um that means you know that was only a month ago that principal photography began so it might be super early on it unless it was just like a, a pretty quick shoot like maybe a month long but i don't know or they're in the middle of shooting right now i have no idea uh but it's being released july 22nd of next year oh that's why the the poster and the film title was on july 22nd of this year so that's why it was a year out okay i get it uh zach snyder is returning to netflix he signed a two-year first look deal with them as well as he signed on to return for army of the dead 2 um, and I believe he has another film coming out for Netflix called Rebel Moon. Um, so Zack Snyder is now in the Netflix business. It seems like, you know, he's kind of had a falling out with Warner Brothers after the whole Justice League Snyder verse debacle. And now he's partnered uh, with Netflix, which seems like a good home for him. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, if he's doing zomb- another zombie movie, I'm I'm all in. Uh, you know, like he's he seems best with zombie stuff. And we're getting Army of Thieves, I think, later this year, aren't Which we? Which really like, has nothing to do with 
zombies or no. Zack Snyder other than he's an executive producer. And it just has the one character, right? Matthias yeah. uh, Schwighofer's uh, character from that movie, but he's just a thief, right? In, yeah. In another one. So, yeah, I don't know. And then there's an anime series called Army of the Dead Lost Vegas, which is going to premiere next year. So whether they're trying to make this a, you know, a big franchise or well, something. Well, I think they are. Um, the way that they ended uh, Army of mm-hmm. the Dead, it, it, it seems like, again, like you don't necessarily need to have – I mean, you really can't, but you don't really need to have, uh, you know, certain characters reserve, return. It's it's more so in the name. I mean, that's that's the same same thing with George A. Romero, where like Night, Dawn, and Day didn't have necessarily. It was more the themes, right? Yeah. Like the the idea was sort of the the continuation of it, and you know, if if it does, if the next, it, it will be interesting because if the next one does take place in Mexico, like it was alluding to it almost feels like something like the purge already beat it there in terms of like the kind of social commentary you're going to get from Zack Snyder probably isn't that far off from what a purge movie is. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't think Zack Snyder is necessarily going to have that much to say about sort of the, you know, U S Mexican border yeah. stuff that isn't in a movie like the purge. Right. No, I get that. A couple pieces of Marvel news to wrap things up today. So we got um, uh, Josh Segura, uh, who is from, he he plays a role in Arrow, uh, has joined She-Hulk with Tatiana Maslany. So I don't know much about this guy. I wasn't really a big, all the CW DC shows just never were really my thing. So I'm not super familiar with this guy, but um, obviously he joins, uh, Tim Roth is coming back. We know, you know, abomination is going to be in Shang-Chi as well. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's in the show. Tatiana Maslany is playing Jennifer Walters, the titular She-Hulk. Um, as well as we have, uh, Jamila Jamil is playing, uh, Titania, uh, the villain. Um, uh, and there's, uh, some more people there. So I don't know much about this dude, but you know, good for him going from DC to Marvel. Seems like a regular thing that happens now. Uh, he played Adrian Chase Prometheus, as well as the Earth 2 version of the character as who had taken the mantle of the hood. Um, you, you didn't watch any of those CWDC no. shows, right? No. no. Supernatural was it in terms <laughs> yeah. of the, And then, like, I guess before that, like, the only CW stuff I've ever watched was, was Buffy. And Yeah, I watched a little bit of Riverdale when it started, but fell out of that. Um, Black the Panther videos are good though. I yeah, I've seen any of those WW like the WW uh, <laughs> videos with Jamie Fox. Um, oh God, yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> uh, a couple pieces of Black Panther two news. So Michaela Cole uh, from I May Destroy You um, has joined Ryan Coogler's uh, uh, Black Panther sequel Wakanda Forever. Um, so she's just coming off of some Emmy nominations for her work on I May Destroy You. I gotta I think watch she, that show. I yeah. I'm so bad with television where it's Same. like that's the thing that I always put off unless like it's something for this show. It's supposed um, to be great, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I sh- I should definitely watch that sooner rather than later. Yeah, and um she's joining um uh, is it Tenoch Huerta from Narcos? He has that been confirmed rem- though with him? Yeah, I don't know if it's been like I think it was on like one of the actual trades, right? Like um, okay, because I feel like a lot of like I know that that her casting has been confirmed by Variety, but it does feel for the most part that this 
that whole production so far has been pretty tight-lipped and and i understand part of the reason why for that yeah because he's rumored to play uh um, namor right namor right <laughs> namor. <laughs> yeah the submarine mariner uh mariner marvel's um, aquaman <laughs> yeah um yeah i'm really curious of i know they've been you know, there's rumors that they have multiple scripts for the movie and they've been trying to work it without Chadwick. So um, whether they bring in, you know, someone to step in, uh, whether it's uh, Lapita Nyong'o's character or Winston Duke or Daniel Kaluuya or Letitia Wright, like, I don't know who's going to step up and, and uh, be kind of the lead in the movie. Martin Freeman. Um, <laughs> yeah martin freeman is the new black panther that'll go over super super well um yeah Bilbo. yeah i don't know man um i don't know so i i'm curious to see how this is going to play out but having it be a wakandan focused movie uh instead of just being about obviously I, and how they're going to deal with you know chadwick's unfortunate passing will be um interesting as well yeah, it's gonna be tough, man. It's gonna be tough. They have a, uh, yeah. I just don't know how they're gonna do it. I don't know how they're gonna pull it off. I mean, like the women of Wakanda. I, I, I think that will be the central focus. Yeah. And I think that's a good sort of path to go down and sort of explore those characters further and 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 the world of Wakanda in general. Um, but yeah, I remember even Angela Bassett was recently doing press rounds for Gunpowder Milkshake, and she was saying like there's been so many rewrites on that script and sort of it it continually is evolving and changing. And then it's not like what it was three months ago compared to what it is now. And so, um, you know, I I hope they had that like Ryan Coogler and and whoever else is writing it, like just had the time that they needed to really think things through and, and hopefully aren't being rushed by a deadline. Like, cause that's the thing that could ultimately be the downfall is that you feel the pressure of trying to do the right thing and the situation that's been presented, but also like, you know, having the time to really think of a a good way to honor Bozeman's memory, but also sort of tell the story in a way that kind of feels, you know, like an extension of what black Panther would have been. And so if you don't have the time to do that and you're basing this on a release date and feeling like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm rewriting and writing and writing and continually writing, even when you're shooting the stuff, like that's the thing that kind of feels a bit alarming, but maybe they, maybe it's all smokescreen stuff because I mean, they are shooting in Atlanta and, and it seems like, you know, they're, they're on their way, but yeah, but who knows? Uh, um, Yeah. it, It will be very interesting in the coming year. Uh, to see how that all kind of pans out. Yeah, what out. this movie is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, everyone. I think that, you know, when I said uh, we won't do two and a half hours anymore, you know what? It's two and a half hours later. Um, we did it. We, we did it. You know, we stayed true to ourselves. I'm frozen. I'll share that photo on social. Um, but thank you all for listening. Uh, if you stuck around for all of this nonsense, you might like our other shows. Uh, we have a review show called Untitled Movie Reviews, which I'm sure we've mentioned multiple times in this episode, but you can go check out our reviews right now for Stillwater, for, uh, well, Snake that'll be Eyes. actually coming up this week, but Snake Eyes, Zola, uh, Zola, Old, uh, Escape Room, uh, Tournament Pig. of Champions, Pig, F9, Fear uh, Street Quiet, Trilogy, A Quiet Place Part 2. Two, Space Gym, uh, featuring Stephen Yun. 
um, and uh, <laughs> uh, and Dune. Hey, that's um, Academy Award nominee Stephen yeah. Yun. And and a preview of Dune, or Eric likes to call it a prune of Dune. Uh, Dune so prune. <laughs> so go check that out as well. Um, our last draft, the ninety fifth draft of the Entitled Movie Podcast. You guys should also go listen to that if you haven't. It was a wonderful conversation with Rihanna Meta and Kevin McGuire about kind of our you know gaps in our film history and things like that so go check out that episode as well as conversations we have plenty of conversations up there uh check out our letterboxed hq which is kind of our one-stop shop for everything uh untitled uh we just posted our m night Shyamalan rankings you guys can check that out an updated what a twist uh an updated schedule for this week as well as uh, the news that we are going back to a weekly format so you should get a new episode of the untitled movie podcast every monday and we'll make sure to keep you updated on that um thank you all for listening drop us a review if you would be so kind follow us on all those social medias at untitled underscore cast uh and you can follow me on all of those other social medias at matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can uh, find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. See you next week. Yeah.